know she is a lot. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Lovely eyes. My sister had eyes like yours. She's dead now. Oh, gee. Gotta run. Well, welcome to The Hysteria Continues, number five. So we're halfway to double digits. Um, thanks for joining us again. And as ever, joined by our intrepid slasher aficionados, um, Joseph. Konnichiwa. <laughs> and Eric. Dave. That's and Irish. Is that... So, <laughs> sorry, Nathan, um, sorry, Nathan, you are there, aren't you? I can hear you. In the background. Aloha. Aloha. And what was that, Eric? What you said that was some Irish greeting. Yes, because it was St. Patrick's Day during the week. Oh yes. Okay. Mm. Okay. And he was yeah. promptly drunk. Were you drunk on <laughs> St. Patrick's Day, Irish? Um, Eric? Irish? Sorry, Eric. So I'm getting tongue-tied. Were you drunk on St. Patrick's Day? I was not year? drunk on St. Patrick's Day. No. No. What? <laughs> it was a day off. It's bank holiday here, so I did enjoy uh, watching slasher movies, but not under the influence of alcohol. Right. Okay. Well, and that neatly uh, sinks us in. Um, as you might know, today we're going to be talking about um, graduation day, so we should all be uh, graduating with dying colours um, later. Um, but um, before we do that, we're going to talk, um, our top three this week is uh, Guilty Pleasures. Um, before we get to that, guys, have you seen anything you want to share with us? Any good films? Eric? No. Not good ones, no. Not good, <laughs> Not ones? good ones? What, what have you seen then? <laughs> Sorry? What have you seen? What's, uh, what I have seen a, a, a Brit comedy horror thing from a few years ago. Have you seen it, Justin? It's called Tormented. Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Is that with uh, the fat kid who gets... The fat, kid? Yeah, it's yeah. This, about this fat, bullied kid in a school who hangs himself and then comes back from the dead to avenge yes. himself. And it's a bit ho-hum. It's another one of those comedy horrors that's neither funny nor scary, and it just sort of... <laughs> I mean, there's some interesting gore effects and... Like there's a death where somebody is with two muscles up their nose, and somebody else gets you know a penisectomy to rival anything in the hostel movies. But I mean, <laughs> it was a bit of a nothing film. What did you think of it, Justin? Well, I, I must admit, I have seen it, but I've forgotten the penisectomy, so it can't. Be <laughs> well, you don't actually see it. Kind of... What they do is a police woman says, "We found a used condom." And then she picks it up and it's actually got his penis in it. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got to see this movie now. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was uh, pretty good, actually. <laughs> I, I have. I must have been very, very drunk or um, very, very tired when I saw it. Because I can't... I think I'm pretty sure I've seen it. I just can't remember seeing it. So, um, yes. What the lead actress in it, uh, her real name is Tuppence something. Tuppence. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone called Tuppence before. Isn't that slightly dirty tuppence? Is that something else? Am I thinking? But um, yes, well, maybe that's one we can we can cover um, at some point um, in about 2042, maybe. Um, if you're still alive, you old man. Well, I'll be I'll be broadcasting I'll be from alive. the moon then. You'll be broadcasting yeah. from the moon. But you mean you're yeah. not at the moment? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Surprisingly. Okay. Well, well, thanks, Eric. What about you guys, um, Joseph? What have you seen recently? I've seen two, uh, both not very good. The first one's a movie called Psycho Ward. Okay. Uh, it's pretty cheap. It's uh, filmed on, like, really cheap digital uh, camera. It's basically about this group of people. They kind of get off on trespassing onto abandoned property, and there's a killer who thinks that's a big no-no. And that sounds pretty good, but it's really, really boring, mm. really, really terrible acting. And it does have, a, like, a hilarious opening murder where uh, – 
this couple, they kind of break into this abandoned prison to kind of get it on inside of a jail cell. Mm. And the killer shows up and he drags the guy away and he starts screaming like a girl. And the girl's like, this isn't funny. I'm getting out of here now. And I pretty much blocked it from my memory. It's pretty awful. If you see it, avoid it. I would. Is it a new film? Yes, it's um, it's direct video. I think it was released a year or two ago, maybe. Uh, I saw it on it was on demand on cable. It was in the free section, and I was like, "Well, you know, that sounds pretty good. I'll give it a go." And I wish I hadn't. Right. What was what's the other one you saw? Uh, the other one is the inexplicably in demand to be released. All the boys love Mandy Lane, which I hated. Uh, it was really tedious, and it was filled with more of the same obnoxious characters uh, that we've talked about. And uh, I don't know. I just couldn't really identify with anyone. And I just sat there, you know, my jaw open the whole time. Like, I hate these people. There's one good scene where the this one girl is being chased by the killer in a car. But you don't really care about her, so you don't really want her to get away. And the final twist is so obvious, they may as well have made it the opening sequence. Uh, this movie is like... I think it was made in like 2006 and it still hasn't been released. And mm. I think I know why uh, I, I hated it. Because I, I, it's been out, it was out in the UK um, and Ireland, probably wasn't Eric, in yeah. 2007. Um, and I think it did, it had a brief sort of theatrical release in, in this country. Um, I don't remember hating it. I, I, I like the twist, which obviously I'm not going to spoil at the moment, but um, it's, yeah, it's one I'd, I need to revisit. And I don't know why it sat on the shelf that long because it, it could have at least got a, um, a DVD release in the States. It's, it's not got, has, did you say it just got one or if, are you watching it in slightly uh, nefarious, uh, by nefarious means? Yeah, I, uh, I, on illegal DVD. manner. Um, I won't go any further than that. Uh, so I don't know. This, I'm sorry. No, it's no, I was going to say, you just, just cover ourselves. You're watching it on import DVD. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this movie's uh, everyone's like clamming for its release, and you know, I was like, well, you know, if everyone's like, hey, this movie deserves to be released, it has to be good, and I was just bored the whole time. Uh, I didn't care for anyone in the movie. Uh, the lead girl, I had no sympathy for her, and obviously, through the final twist, you're not supposed to. But I don't know. It's just more of the same, really. Well, it's Amber Heard, isn't it, who um, probably between this and uh, Drive Angry, which I think has gotten bombed um, quite spectacularly, she's probably not got much of a career left, I wouldn't have thought. She seems, you know, um, she's very beautiful and she seems quite a good actress, but um, she doesn't seem to have chosen her, rel- her roles very well, unfortunately. Um, well, she, um, I think her movie choices are kind of iffy, so now she's kind of doing the whole... Uh, Anne Hayes thing where she's claiming to be uh, lesbian when she's not or something, uh, not to make any kind of slurs or anything. I'm not, but uh, obviously she's, lesbian, she's kind of she? clinging on to some kind of other avenue of getting noticed, which I think is kind of shameful. Hmm. But I think she is a lesbian, isn't she? I think she's been known to be an out lesbian in Hollywood for you know a number of years, but... Um, I believe she is, but she's using it as her, to her advantage rather than you know her acting chops. You know, mm. if she's a lesbian, that's fine. You know, I have no problem with that, obviously. Mm. But uh, you know, let your talent carry you, not your proclivities. Okay, well, that's something, just my something, Yeah, well, it's something you might come back to at some point. Not lesbianism, but um, all the boys love. Oh, Lane. why not? Well, we might come back to lesbian. Who knows? Who knows? Um, um, how about you, Nathan? Have you seen anything of note? 
Uh, well, first off, I liked All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, so I have to disagree mm. with Joseph on that. So did, so did I. I thought it was good. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah thanks. Um, <laughs> the one I saw recently, and this is actually a coincidence because I was just on the Body Count Continues message board this morning, and Rembrandt has posted a topic about it, is Chain Letter. And I did not like that movie at all because it, I don't know, it, it actually does have characters I didn't care about in it, and... It's almost like the ending, they ran out of ideas. So they had this ridiculously over-the-top ending. And Rembrandt actually has a really good topic on the board right now, and it's something that I've always wondered, is that why back in the 70s and 80s did a downbeat ending seem, you know, it was, you know, it, it made the movie scarier sometimes. But it seems like now in more updated movies, when they have a downbeat ending, it's just depressing. And it doesn't make me feel scared at the end of a movie. It, it just makes me feel either angry or depressed. I mean, I, I, downbeat endings in a lot of movies today just don't work for me anymore. Mm. Is it Chain Letter? Is that the? Is it kind of quite sore, still sore esque and ho, ho, like hostile? Is it still kind of torture porn, or is it? Is it actually a proper slasher movie? Um, well, I mean, I think it, it's kind of iffy. I mean. Uh, there are some quick death scenes in it that don't really strike me as torture, but then there's another scene where, you know, he gets this jock and, like, puts the chain in his mouth and, like, moves it back and forth, like, cutting through his face. So, I mean, I think it walks that fine line. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's kind of, it's, it's odd, isn't it? I mean, Saw, when did Saw come out? 2004, was it? So it's about seven years we've had, like, this kind of torture porn legacy, which, um, you know, I didn't use the, the word torture porn or the, 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 um, the term advisedly, but... It's not. I've, I, I liked Saw. Um, I haven't watched any of the other films. I think I saw Saw two, um, and I, I actually preferred Hostel two to Hostel one. But I, all the rest of them, and especially that awful, awful train with Thora Birch, um, which must oh, be the boy. worst torture porn film. They're ever. not really relevant anymore. I mean, they're coming out no. with Hostel three, and they're setting it in Vegas. And I didn't know there were hostels in Vegas. I thought it was a hotel if it's in, in the states. The thing that I could be think- wrong. The thing that confuses me is why they, they're still churning them out. Obviously, I know why, because they, they make money. But um, why it's taken such a long time to greenlight another Friday 13th movie, whether or not you, you like it or not, um, the remake did actually make um, a lot of money. And they can be made very, very cheaply. So I don't really understand why we're getting more hostels. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't believe the saw's actually gone. I'm sure it will come back at some point. Um, but um, I mean that slightly gets off the point. I haven't actually watched myself watched any slasher movies. Bar um, I did see Funeral Home the other day with uh, Les- the wonderful Leslie Donaldson um, uh, for some some research. But with recent movies I saw mm. I saw um, what was it The Last Exorcism uh, last night because I've been fed up waiting for it to come on Love Film, which is a bit like Netflix in the states. But obviously that's not a slasher movie. Um, um, for the record, I, I quite enjoyed it. I didn't think it was amazing, and I, but I quite liked the ending, unlike a lot of people. Um, but I've been uh, spending most of my time watching Graduation Day, so we'll be talking about that later. So, guys, you got any other films you wanted to, to share before we move into our top three guilty pleasures? I'm tapped out. Tapped I have out. nothing. Okay. Shall I take that? Well, how about we move into guilty pleasures? Now... With this top three, we've done top threes um, obviously for the last uh, few episodes, and um, with this one, it's it's. I'll be surprised. Well, maybe not surprised, but um, we'll shall see if we all agree on the top three guilty pleasures. Um, and I kind of guess it's one of those things for me. Um, it was quite difficult to come up with. Uh, there's, there's one I think everyone knows probably what that is, but um, with the others, certainly the early eighty ones. I mean, a lot of them are kind of guess or um, guilty pleasures. Anything that's not 
a Halloween, um, early 80s slasher is a kind of guilty pleasure to some degree. Um, but let's see what you guys picked. Um, should we go start in order? How about you, Eric? Do you want to go for your number three? Yes, uh, my number three, and as you say, um, it's hard to decide uh, what a guilty pleasure is when you're a fan of slasher movies because obviously your standards are a bit lower than sort of mainstream folk, mm-hmm. if that's not a bad thing to say. You know what I mean? It's in the best possible way. Uh, mine is from 1985, possibly 1983, I can't remember. It's uh, Wes Craven's The Hills of Eyes Part 2, mm-hmm. which everyone seems to hate, although I did read the review on Hysteria Lives before I, we started the podcast, and somebody obviously likes it. I don't think it was you who reviewed it, Justin. It was um, somebody else. Gave, they gave it a three out of five. Okay. Um, okay. It's the one that uh, Wes Craven tends to disown, which I think is a kind of ironic, because I think it's one of his better ones. And I think it's, you know, it's kind of rich coming from him, seeing as he made Deadly Friends, that he mm. disowns Hills of Eyes Part 2. It's more of a Friday the 13th clone than the original Hills of Eyes is. And it's, it even has um, Harry Manfredini doing this score that's absolutely identical <laughs> to his work on Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Um, it's packed with cheesy moments. For starters, all the cast are dressed like they've just come out of the top of the pops audience they've got these dis- disco headbands and jumpsuits <laughs> yeah. um and there's this blind girl and obviously she, she wears this jumper because she's blind i'd say it's this it's this sort of christmas jumper you used to get in the 80s with mm-hmm. um f- sort of elaborate designs on it you get sort of the wise cracking black character and it's all set in this backdrop of um the desert which i think is a absolutely brilliant place to set a slasher movie uh I mean, and the, they do all the idiotic things you do. They go for sort of outdoor showers in the middle of the night, even though they know that there's this history of this cannibal family living in the, you know, in the wilderness there. Um, it has, I was watching it the other day, it has these wonderful over-the-top sound effects. Like whenever anyone gets hit, it's got, it's, it's real sort of over-the-top um, sound effect, like you're watching some kind of chop movie from the 70s. It's like, whoosh! Um, <laughs> and like, there's, obviously there's, um, Famously, probably the cheesiest moment is where a d- the dog has a flashback to scenes from the first film where he was attacking Michael Berryman. I was um, hoping you were going to mention that. Yes. <laughs> I also love the fact that Janice Blythe's character, she was one of the cannibal family in the original, and now she sort of somehow managed to integrate herself into normal society, which is bizarre, really, because it was like there's only maybe six or seven years between the two films. So, Hills of Eyes Part 2 is my number three guilty pleasure. I don't know how guilty it is. Maybe you can back me up. Well, I think it is. I mean, I quite enjoy it. It's, hasn't it got the, um, the 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 woman who played the president's wife in Twenty Four, the the black woman? She played um, the black president's wife. I in can't 24. confirm that. I'm afraid. No. I think, it, I think it's her. Um, but she, I think, I think she goes topless in this. I can't remember. Don't don't pin me down with that. But um, um, yeah, it's. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Saying about how Wes Craven seems to have. He's got like a his his career is like a sort of an epileptic on a trampoline up and down, isn't it? I mean, it's it's one minute he's he's making Nightmare on Elm Street, then he's making um, The Hills of Eyes Part Two. But again, like like you said, Derek, it's, it's for us um, who are fans of slasher movies, um, we have a different standard of taste, you know. And I, it's not good taste, it's not bad taste, it's our taste. And um, so trying to find a film that um, uh, you know is is a guilty pleasure is can be quite difficult because to be honest most 90% of the films that I enjoy and I'm sure you guys enjoy as well we know that most people um, hate 
So, um, yeah, yes. no, I think it's a good it's One a man's good trash choice. is another man's treasure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I loved it, too. I thought it was a really good sequel, actually. It's cheesy and fun. Mm. It's hilarious. I, I liked it a lot as well. I prefer it to the original, actually, as much as I like the original. Well, the original was the first fun. movie I've ever, the first horror film I ever saw. So oh, I nice. always have a soft spot for the first one, but the second one is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really I think it's got Michael so. Berryman on a jerk bike. What more could you want? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <Absolutely>. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks, Eric. How about uh, you, Joseph? What's your number three? Right. My number three is a pretty languid paced movie called Scream from 1981, mm. uh, also known as The Outing over in your parts of the world. Yeah. Um, like I said, if you can get past some of the pacing issues, there's like an extremely atmospheric effort buried in there somewhere. It's about a group of vacationers who stop in at a ghost town to camp for the night, mm. and they find themselves being killed off one by one by um, uh, something or someone. It's really only vaguely hinted at, but what I like about the movie is the setting is just like absolutely incredible, and there's like some really, 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 really good scenes of like pure dread. Uh, it's also notable for being uh, one of the rare movies where no female characters die, and um, the music is really well, re- really well done, I think. And um, another thing I like about the movie is that the slow pacing, uh, like I said, if you can get past that, it kind of, it kind of like gives like a build up, like you keep you keep waiting for something to happen and there's long stretches where nothing really does happen but at the end everything starts happening and it, it you felt like you've just kind of been just thrust into it really quickly and i kind of like that yeah it's, it's one of those films i haven't seen it for a long time i remember it being um thinking it was like watching paint dry because it is you get languid to the point of comatose isn't it but it's it's am I right in thinking, Joseph? You were saying it's one of those films that would be would it's not screaming out for a remake, but would actually um, it's, a, it's a really good um, premise, isn't it? You know, yes, the down. setting is it's fantastic and it's really creepy. And um, if they did remake it, you know, with a little more pace and uh, a little more joie de vivre, I think it would be really good. Uh, maybe bump up the the body count a little bit. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. give it a few more characters to kind of. Uh, to center around, I mean, because in this movie there's no there's no real main character. It's just a bunch of like old people just sitting in a in an old saloon just waiting to meet their maker. But I don't know. There's just it's one of those movies. There's something about it I really like, and it just sticks with me every time I watch it. Cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really liked it too. I, I love the scene where the girl's humming, and it pans over to all the weapons hanging on the wall in another area, and that one uh, the meat cleaver is dripping blood on the floor. That's a great scene. Mm. It is a good scene. I like that. I liked it too, actually. I've only seen it for the first time in the last few months. Um, I was deterred from seeing it from all the negative reviews it got. But, I mean, it is really, really atmospheric. Uh, It has kind of a weird Euro horror vibe, like it was made in Spain in 1972 or something. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But it it got a a theatrical release in the States, didn't it, under the title Scream? It Um, did. Mm -hmm. Back in 1980 or something, didn't it? Um, uh, 81. 81, right, okay, cool. I, I, it's another film, I haven't seen it for a long, long time, and um, what I found, actually, since going back to some of the original reviews on Hysteria, which are now 13, almost 13 years old, um, you know, my opinion's changed on quite a few films, so that is one that, you know, potentially I'll go back and have a look at. So, um, thank you, Joseph. And um, moving on to um, my number three, it's um, a film which uh, crosses... Um, uh, uh, Mick Jagger with Basil Brush, um, and if you don't know who Basil Brush is, it's a kind of a 70s um, 
TV puppet in the shape of a uh, ginger fox. I already know what you're going to say. It's Night of the Demon, uh, 1980. It was the Bigfoot versus Girl Scout Sopus. Um, Now, I just love this film. It's it's kind of one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Um, And it's it's what kind of goes back to why I was a bit kind of unsure about what's a guilty pleasure and what's not a guilty pleasure, because this is is a guilty pleasure in so much. I know lots of people hate it, but I know lots of people like it for exactly the same reasons. Um, It's fun and goofy and stupid. Probably, I mean, in the same way, something like Don't Go Into the Woods, which is kind of more of a pure slasher movie, I kind of guess. But this is, has more fun to it and also has an awesome collection of the worst actors and actresses in the world. Um, so a little synopsis, if you haven't seen it, is, uh, is, is a Professor Nugent goes into the backwoods with his, um, with his students, anthropology students, uh, to, I think it's to disprove the existence of Bigfoot. And, of course, Bigfoot exists and kills them off one by one. But interspersed with all of that is just gory mayhem of Bigfoot pulling off penises, uh, doing um, stabbing Girl Scouts to death and making them stab each other to death, burning faces off on, on fires, whipping people with their entrails. It goes on and on and on. And it's just got some of the best um, dialogue and some of the worst acting ever committed to cell- celluloid. And my favourite moment has to be when the uh, the man and the woman are in a kind of sub porno throes of passion, and she's going ooh ooh ah, <laughs> and and then Bigfoot suddenly appears, pulls the man out, butt naked, and then he's f- coming down the windscreen, covered in blood, going ooh, and she's going ooh ah, like she's got the same <laughs> porno moans, but just slightly more high pitched, and then it, the camera zooms in on her eyeball, like a um, like it does in Psycho. Um, so obviously the uh, the filmmakers had uh, pretensions to grandeur, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, the film to have a, a lots of beers and popcorn and get drunk and watch, and it's a lot of fun. So that's my number three guilty pleasure. I, I love it. Uh, there's one scene uh, in the movie that I think is hilarious. It's sort of like uh, the father, uh, the backwoods father. He's kind of like trying to do this like exorcism on this pregnant woman who, who he knows is like impregnated with like Bigfoot's child or something like that and um, he's like I'm going to do my best southern accent he's like I want you to take this demon seed out of her oh and take the girl too <laughs> fantastic, fantastic movie fantastic movie I can't believe that we're like 20 minutes into the podcast and we've already mentioned two films with penisectomies in them well, it probably says more about us, doesn't it, Eric? But um, we won't go there until our, our viewers know or our listeners know us a little bit better. So keep you guessing, guys. So, um, all right, Eric, what's your number two? Have what we asked number Nathan? Three? Oh, have we? Nathan. We've not done Nathan. Sorry, I do apologise, Nathan. Sorry, sorry. Um, That's okay. I'm, I'm I wasn't talking a lot yet. No, sorry, um, sorry, Nathan. You're number three. Uh, my number three, the year is 1987. Yeah. Planet Earth. The question on everybody's lips, whatever can, became of Ethel Janowski? Crazed binge eater extraordinaire. My number three is Crazy Fat Ethel Part Two. It is, it's an hour, it's only an hour long, but I mean, I, I do admit it's a slow movie. It might feel like it's four hours while you're sitting there watching it. Filmed with a camcorder, and it has uh, Priscilla Alden as this um, crazy uh, woman who will kill people over food. I mean, you know, like uh, they give her a, a small, uh, thing of uh, pudding and she will kill somebody because it's too damn little. And, um, there is uh, she gets sent to a halfway house, uh, because you know, the overcrowding in the, you know, mental asylum. So she gets sent to a halfway house and, um, 
the uh, what the guy that runs it or one of the workers there likes to feed the patients dog food. And then he sits and eats a candy bar in front of her. So, of course, he has to go. <laughs> I um, remember that. But <laughs> after that, uh, one of the patients sees her kill the um, attendant. So, and the blackmail consists of she has to give him her dessert for the rest of her stay at the halfway house. So, of course, he's got to go, too. Um, it's just it's a really stupid movie, but it was my holy grail. I mean, I've read about it when I was 12, and it took me six years to find it. So... I finally found it, and I refuse to hate it. So um, rest in peace, Priscilla Alden, Ethel. You'll always be the queen of camp to me. And I also need to apologize to Tuzo because I did want to go with Bloodhook, but I couldn't do it. Bloodhook's my number four. Right. Okay. I, I must admit, I you know, shock, shock, shocks. I've not seen either of the Crazy Fat Ethel films. Um, so I've heard all about it, and it's something I have to rectify at some point. But is, it, is, is she in the first one as well? Is it like a direct sequel, or is it a... She yes, it's a direct insane. sequel. Mm. Um, yeah, the first one's called Criminally Insane. The second yeah. one's called Crazy Fat Ethel 2. Right, okay. I, the one thing I remember about Criminally Insane is the very end where they find her. And, My uh, God. The cop, yeah, the cop played by uh, Buck, Buck Flower, he comes in, you know, in the most monotone voice ever. He's like, My God. Like, like, oh, it's no big deal. Look what Ethel's doing. Yeah. And I'm not going to spoil it for Justin since he hasn't seen it. But Yeah, because it's a good ending. You'll get it once you, once you watch it. I'll make it my uh, my um, all, all efforts in the world to see uh, that in the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we we'll talk about that next time as well. So um, yeah, thank you, Nathan, and sorry to um, sorry to I didn't mean to forget you. I'm just getting get a little confused. So uh, that's this is right. my old my old dotage. So um, anything else to say about Crazy Fat Ethel Part Two? Uh, no, that's it. Oh, uh, warning: never come between Ethel and a well-stocked refrigerator. Okay, okay. That's all I gotta like say. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you. It, it, well, I was crazy. gonna make an Eric joke, but I don't. I don't like it. Uh, crazy fast, fast Eric. Two. <laughs> <laughs> if someone takes away your chunky Kit Kat set, um, I can imagine. <laughs> no, it wouldn't part be pretty. <laughs> so, uh, seeking neatly onto that, Eric, what's your number two? Okay, my number two is a very mainstream film, and uh, we were talking about it on the forums recently, uh, and it seems some people like it, but the majority hate it. It's Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Mm. Um, now, if anyone's read my review of Halloween 4 on Hysteria Lives, they'll know that I wasn't too enthused. With it. My main problem with it was that I found it really, really boring. Halloween 5 is as ridiculous as Halloween 4, but it does it in a far more entertaining way, I think. Um, if you approach it not expecting... Halloween 1 or Halloween 2. I think you can have fun with the film. You have all this cheesy, cheesy 80s slasher tropes. You have Ellie Cornell prancing around her underwear to the song Romeo, Romeo, mm. which is actually on the Halloween 5 soundtrack if you want to hear the full version. I have it. Um, and there's so many what-were-they-thinking characters. I mean, we talked about the comedy cops on the first show in the what-the-fuck moments, but there's also the character of Tina. Now, for anyone who can't remember Tina in Halloween 4, let me just refresh your memory. Does that refresh your memory? <laughs> it's um, it's it's like having Sorry? electrical it's things at the side of my head, like electric shock therapy. But thank you, Eric. So that's it's like I don't know how Tina managed to stay alive. I mean, it took Michael Myers to kill her. I don't know how her friends didn't do you know the job before that for all of her house. And she has this horrible boyfriend as well called Mikey, and I. You can't imagine that people like him actually exist. He's the most obnoxious person. I don't know how he manages to have any friends. He's the one, you know, in the leather jacket who has the fancy car that he's really precious about. Sounds um, like a certain board member. 
Oh, ooh, ooh, do tell. <laughs> we'll talk on off air about that. Who was? Yeah. yeah, I think it's quite atmospheric, though. In fairness, I mean, it's not all about the cheese. There is some atmospheric moments. You you see these shots where you can see Michael in the distance looking at the characters, and they're oblivious to his presence. I think they're quite effective. Um, but the, I suppose the thing I like most about it is that it just completely—it it looks completely rushed. It throws caution to the wind and throws the kitchen sink at that. They don't. I mean, they don't care that the Myers house is completely different. They don't care that Michael Myers' mask is completely different, even though it takes place within minutes of Halloween 4. They don't care that they completely reverse the ending of Halloween 4, where Jamie kills, apparently, her stepmother, uh, and then introduces that ludicrous thorn cult thing. And I suppose they're kind of, when you're making a sequel to Halloween or Friday the 13th, you've got a very simple formula, and it's very difficult to come up with new things unless you go for something ludicrous. So, I mean, I suppose they had to, you know, go down that avenue, but... Um, and also, I think one of the film's successes is finally killing off Rachel because I can't stand her. The end. The end. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I don't hate the um, those Friday Thirteenth sequels. I even don't hate the the sixth one, although it does it does test your patience quite a bit. Um, I I think part four. I think I saw part four at the the cinema in the UK, but part five didn't get. Um, I think they basically stopped releasing them to UK cinemas yeah. with part four, didn't they? I don't think part five came out here. Um, but um, what do you guys think of uh, part five? All right. Uh, Halloween five. I haven't seen this in a long time. Uh, but the one thing I do remember, uh, as I think you talked about uh, on one of the old, earlier podcasts with the comedy cops and, of course, uh, Tina being really annoying. Uh, mm. That's really all I remember about it. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, me too. It's yes. been a long time since I've seen it as well. Mm. Although I, I liked Rachel. I felt bad when she died. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, no, she's she was a, I, you know, she was a nice enough character, wasn't she? But um, let's face it, none of them were Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, no, unfortunately, no, she's no Jamie Lee. No, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, um, who's up next? I kind of lost count. I think it's Joseph. It's Joseph, like, num- number two. All right. Um, my number two is Island of Blood, uh, from 1982, okay. also known as Scared Alive and Who Done It. This one features a really repetitive. Uh, faux punk rock song uh, it's kind of catchy actually it's uh the lyrics are lonely as a child you were wet you were wild you were helpless and then let's not forget the boil me boil me stab me stab me saw me saw me spear me spear me uh that repeats over and over um this one's about a group of would-be filmmakers uh attempting to make a family-friendly musical inside of an abandoned school on an island somewhere uh, you get a bunch of characters together in an isolated setting, and it's pretty obvious what happens next. Uh, I will spoil some of it. Uh, the murderer, he's basically killing people according to the lyrics of that song, and it turns out he's filming it as part of a snuff film. So it kind of begs the question, how does he juggle the murder weapon, the tape recorder, and and the camera all at once? Uh, the only answer I could come up with was dexterity. So, uh yeah, Rough it's a movie plotting. that I think a lot of people hate because it's really, it's really poorly edited and it's kind mm. of, I wouldn't say it's slow, but I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but it is one of my guilty pleasures. I like it a lot. I think I've oh, I'm gonna, it I'm going to kill you, Joseph. That that song stuck in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've actually got I've actually got the um, the UK quad uh, poster for that film um, when it's released here is Who Done It. So, which bizarrely means that that film must have got a UK theatrical release. 
which is mind-boggling to me because it is such a hunk of crap, um, in my humble opinion. <laughs> so, um, but it, it just goes to show that back in the early 80s, pretty much anything could get um, a cinema release. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's, again, it's another film I might um, uh, give it a chance, but I, I seem to remember seeing it and just thinking how horrendous it was. So have you seen it, Eric? I haven't, no. No, okay. Well, that's uh, I'm, I'm undecided whether to seek it out now. Seem oh, too contrasting. Oh, you should for the cheesiness uh, alone, yes. at least. Yeah, yeah. it's very dancing. There's, there's one good scene I like in it. Um, basically, after a bunch of people have died, there's one character who's kind of like the red herring. He's sitting at an organ and he starts playing the funeral march, and everybody just kind of looks at him. They're like, "How could you be so insensitive?" Uh, <laughs> it was pretty appropriate at the time. Yeah, it, yeah, it was actually. Well, it's, it's one of those films I probably will uh, have to watch again um, at some point. I think I've got the Australian VHS um, sort of around here somewhere if it hasn't disintegrated. But, uh, yeah, no, no, thank you, Joseph, for bringing back that pleasant memory. So, um, so You are welcome. <laughs> well, before we get to Nathan, my number two is I'm going to bring things a little bit more up to date. Well, not, not that much up to date, about 13 years ago. Um, which is hard to believe that this released um, probably about 13 years ago is, is Urban Legend. Um, mm. Now, uh, the my number one film is from about the same time as well. Um, so when we're talking about guilty pleasures, is uh, in some ways I find it easier to talk about films that are guilty pleasures, films that I know certainly at the time, uh, 13 years ago, and even now they still have a pretty bad rep. People don't really admit to liking them. Um, now, Urban Legend, I thought was you know it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's not a great slasher movie. Um, it's back if any of you guys remember back in the um, ninety eight when actually set up Hysteria Lives. Um, there was this huge uh, boycott trendy horror um, thing going on. It was when around the same time that sort of Scream Two had come out, and um, there were all these kind of films coming out, and people were just sort of saying trendy horror is killing. Um, uh, the slasher movie, the horror genre, and by trendy horror, it was kind of meant sort of TV stars um, turning up in films, uh, more concerned about how they look on camera than you know what they did on camera. Uh, and I kind of guess Urban Legend is is kind of like that, um, but it's just like a fun horror movie, um, a fun slasher movie. I mean, it's it's stupid, um, it's it's juvenile, but it's you know it's got the opening is fantastic, um, you know, with the Bonnie Tyler song. Um, uh, you know, which the one sort of, the woman says, "Total eclipse of the heart." Total eclipse of the heart. Yeah. And then every now and again, Whoa. we fall apart, and then someone <laughs> s- kills her with an axe, chops her head off in the back of a car. I mean, it's it's kind of genius. You know, it's. I mean, you have to have a heart of stone not to enjoy that film. And I think sometimes, um, just speaking speaking personally, sometimes people are just a bit too caught up in um, wanting to appear. I don't know, wanting to appear. Not, um, you know, above it in some ways, which is ironic because I mean, the slasher movie is, you know, certainly back in the early eighties when we were enjoying them, um, the films we really enjoy uh, were seen as one step above um, above porn. Um, now, with Urban Legend, the other thing is people are saying it's ridiculous, um, and as people probably know by now, I love the kind of ridiculous nature of slasher movies, especially films like Happy Birthday to Me. And I've long said, you know, the I mean, the most ridiculous scene in um, Urban Legend is when one character's swimming in a uh, indoor swimming pool, and then somebody walks in in a parka, uh, and it is ridiculous. I mean, nobody's going to walk into a, uh, from the cold into a heated swimming pool and walk all the length of a swimming pool 
with a parka and then disrobes. Of course, it's the same outfit the killer wears, but this disrobes and it's it's just another person out swimming. It's got that kind of cheesiness, that fun to it. The bit at the end where the two girls are, you know, they they think um, one of the other characters is the killer and they say, he's all yours, and then they run off through the woods. I mean, that, to me, that is just the ultimate in cheesy, fun, um, you know, popcorn um, slasher thrills. And I had a really good time with this at the cinema, and it's something I still watch, and, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I really enjoy Urban Legend. And I'm even less ashamed to say what is my number one, but you shall come to that at some point soon. So well, let me let me ask you something. Yeah. Um, in that scene where the the person walks into the pool with the parka, mm. was it summer outside? I believe or fall. Uh, I thought it was summer. Was it summer? I don't know if it was. No, I th- well, there was storms and stuff, wasn't there? I don't think it was summer. I can't remember actually. Because I always thought in the sequel the killer should have worn the parka then because it was actually filmed in the winter. Mm, mm. And uh, the actual, the sequel, I love. It was actually my number four. I couldn't include it, but it was my number four. But uh, but back to Urban Legend, the first one. I do like it. There's one scene where uh, the killer, uh, I'm going to spoil it. I mean, obviously, everyone's ever, probably already seen it. It's the Noxzema girl. Uh, what's her name? Rebecca Gayhart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she hoists uh, like a 220-pound guy up by a rope on a tree by herself. And she she's like 5'4", and probably weighs like 105 pounds. I thought that was kind of funny, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, she's terrific in that film, I have to say. She's really great fun, especially when she reveals herself as the killer at the end, and she's a bit woohoo. She's a bit loopy, yes. Yeah. yeah. She has time to back home her hair, doesn't she? Which I think is kind of like, <laughs> is what more killers should do to show that yeah. you're mad, is make your hair much bigger. Because um, that's what Friday the 13th was missing, you know. Um, it should have had... Jason with big hair. Well, no, Mrs. Voorhees. Or Jason coming out with a, with a beehive or bouffant out the lake at the end. It would have been great. But, but that would really imply madness, wouldn't it? That would. That would. A spiral perm. I mean, who knows? That's what, that's what they need. Um, Killer should have big hair, I think, because it signifies madness. And, um, no, she was great at the end of that. And that real kind of, like... Yeah, her eyes really pop out, um, yeah. and she's you know, I, you know, that is, it's it's a good fun film. It's nothing special. Even any film that I makes you not want Tara Reid to die horribly, to actually be sympathetic for her plight, is is doing something right. So um, yeah, I love it. I would agree. I I say in my I know what you did last summer review on History Lives that I prefer. Um, urban Legend, and I know what you did last summer to Scream. The Scream films, I think, are quite good, but they're not ones I ever, I've ever really gone back to. Whereas I know what you did last summer, and Urban Legend in particular, I love because I think they they capture the early eighties vibe a lot better. Yeah, especially the way Urban Legend is so silly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, well, you probably might guess what my um, my number one is, but but before we get into our number ones, Nathan, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is the last slumber party where the girls are dying for a good time. Oh my, oh my God. God! What? Come on! Uh, <laughs> that is a guilty pleasure, isn't it? That's something you should yes. take to your grave. You should feel guilty for that. <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, Everybody hates it. Everybody hates it. I think it's actually very entertaining. I mean, me and my friend Melissa have this uh, ongoing joke that there's a scene in the movie where the heroine, after she finds out all her friends are, you know, dead. Um, she decides to stay in the house and just walk around. You know, I, I don't know why she don't leave the house, but you know, why does anybody do anything in a horror movie? Um, but there's a scene where her friend actually her friend gets up and like grabs her and she goes, Chris, get help. And my friend Melissa and I always laugh about the fact that um, she, her dead friend has to come back to life to tell this idiot to go get help because <laughs> she still doesn't. Bed and she goes into the closet. She hears a noise and she goes, "Who's in there?" 
I mean, who would do that if you know that your friends have already been murdered? And then Justin has a really hilarious review on his site where it says it contains one of the only scenes where the heroine actually snubs a victim because a woman grabs her and it's bleeding from the throat and she just runs past her. Like, screw you. You know, I don't care about you. I'm going to run downstairs and grab a knife and then come back upstairs again. It's not good fun to go etiquette, really, is it? But, I mean, you know, the general plot, you know, an escaped mental patient, he hates his new doctor, so he goes to his doctor's house to kill him, but finds that his uh, daughter is having a slumber party with her friends, and he's like, starts killing them off. I mean, it's it's a really cheesy, really stupid movie, but I've, I've seen it probably about 15 times. I love it. I'm a glutton for punishment. What can I say? Well, wow. it's a good job. Uh, we're talking about guilty pleasures. It's a good job you're not Catholic, or maybe you are, I don't know, but... Um, it's one of those no. things. No, no, but it's kind of uh, that is definitely a guilty pleasure. I mean, I haven't seen it for. I've only seen it the once, obviously. Um, I know what your number one is, Nathan. So um, yes, you I, do. I, I, I <laughs> Let me ask you. In, um, the last slumber party that I actually liked was the idea of having a separate killer who has no idea that there is another killer. That was original. I agree I with you. That was a pretty good. good idea. Actually, it was for such a shitty movie. Yeah. yeah, and plus the writers of Last Slumber Party are pretty homophobic. I mean, I don't know how many gay slurs they fit into that 90 minutes runtime. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be par for the course. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay, well, it's, that's our number two, so we're going to get into the big number ones now, and I think we should we start with... Um, Eric, what's your, yes. your numero uno? Numero My uno? numero uno is yeah. one of the original video nasties. It's from... Mm. The fact that it was a video nasty made it a must-see for me back in the day. I'm sure you've probably felt this list. Um, it's Jess Franco's Bloody Moon. Now, this is a film that uh, is entertaining probably for the reasons not intended by the filmmakers. It's the story of these murders taking place at a language school in Alicante in Spain. And my the biggest pleasure I get out of this film is the English dub track, which struggles really hard to sort of fill the dialogue into the lip movements of the actresses as they go along. I think you have a clip there, Justin, that I, I um, sent you. Explain it. It, it's a piece of dialogue from the film, and I think it expresses everything I want to say about Bloody Moon, if you have it there. I do. Here we go. Relax. Ralph. Your body feels so stiff. Please, Ralph. No one can see us here. You know I love you, Ralph. And I love you, too. Oh, I love your tenderness. Please, but be patient with me. Just let yourself melt in my arms. Caress me gently. Everywhere. Everywhere, yes. Like that, like that. And that is exactly, that, there you have, that's why I love Bloody Moon so much. I mean, and that happens in the first minute of the film and it just keeps going on in that vein and it gets funnier and funnier um, my arms. Oh, my I want you to melt him. oh Ralph be patient with me um, <laughs> uh, and it's got some of the um, the shoddiest gore effects I mean there's a famous sequence where a woman is tied to this kind of slab at a, a mill of some kind and she gets her head sawn off and well she get a mannequin gets his head sawn off I should say um, there's also there's one quite effective effect uh, shot where a woman gets a knife through the back and it comes out through her nipple. This is making me sound really sick. I should stop. Um, and there's, there's actually the piece de resistance is, um, and this is going to make me sound really bad. Please don't write in to complain. But where a, this sort of six or seven year old boy gets mown down by a vintage Mercedes. I was watching. What kind of films are you watching? I hope social services aren't listening. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, can I just say that I was watching the um, DVD of it during the week and there's a interview with Jess Franco on it and he was 
promised. It was actually done by German producers and he was hired in to direct it. So it's not one of his own sort of writing, directing jobs. He was promised that they were going to get Pink Floyd to do the score. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> what they do the end up with side is... of the bloody moon. Yes. What, yes excellent. <laughs> what what uh, we do end up with as the score is uh, this kind of repetitive guitar loop. And it sounds like somebody is standing on the tail of one of your cats, Justin, because you get this guitar that goes... <laughs> It's, it's got it's got um, a very strange soundtrack, isn't it? With that that mm. disco where they listen to nineteen forties music. It's, <laughs> it's, prob- it's probably the only eighties slasher where they've teenagers standing around listening to Glenn Miller and stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's bizarre. <laughs> I mean, what kind of what kind of place were they going to? I mean, can you imagine the the kids in graduation day, you know, listening to whatever Glenn Miller or something, or you know, some. Uh, a jazz song or whatever it was it's it's it is it's um very bizarre film but just be gentle with me ralph <laughs> <laughs> sorry i can't stop saying that i love i just love those lines well i do oh, love, i love the bit where she, does my get, arms. <laughs> where she gets her head chopped off doesn't she say oh kinky or something uh, yeah she's like then, there for he's tying her up and she's there for a long time going oh what are you gonna do pain is good for pleasure <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's, oh. it's great. And isn't there a massive boulder that rolls down, that falls down, the yes. road and bounces? <laughs> and yeah. if I, th- I have a suspicion that it was possibly not a real boulder, I think it was made I th- of polystyrene. I think it, they seem to have a lot of those. It's, I, my favourite boulder. It's just it's the smorgasbord of absurdity from start to finish, and that's why it's my number one. Um, just sorry, just just slightly off on the pressure. thing about talking about boulders, but um, which is a very tenuous thing to talk about. But um, there's that Richard Burton film, Medusa Touch, where he's got he's a killer with psychic powers, and he makes I think it's Canterbury Cathedral collapse, and this boulder falls out of the ceiling and lands on someone's head, and then bounces about two foot in the air off, and the the man stands <laughs> and grabs his head. And it's kind of like, it just reminded me of Bloody Moon. It's just got, there must be a great list you could do with films with crappy boulders. Um, it's, it's, what is it? That's in a spooky coincidence, Justin, yeah. the, there's a famous shot in Bloody Moon where a real-life snake gets chopped in half with a mm. pair of shears. Mm. And that snake's name is Medusa. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes, Which because think... this, the, the female lead, you know, the one who takes her top off and looks at the moon a lot? Yes. Um, she says she has a brilliant line of dialogue at one stage saying, Where's my other snake, Medusa? Who has Medusa? Have you seen Medusa? Please tell me, where's Medusa? It's well, just that br- brilliant script writing. It is. It's just well, it's a shame with some of those early 80s films where they had to um, shoehorn um, in real um, killing animals in them, like obviously the cannibal films we're not watching, but it's kind of, I mean, that's yeah. the only bit in the film that leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it's obviously completely it gratuitous mm. and unneeded. Um, and it kind of actually, it's such a good time film in so ridiculous and over the top, it kind of um, puts a little bit dampener on it for me. But um, but still plenty in there to enjoy, Eric. So um, who knows, we may come back and cover that at some point in the future a bit more. So Thank um, you, Eric. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, what's your number two, or number one even? Number one. Um, mm. All right. Brad Pitt can have his seven. I prefer Cutting Class, which uh, is my number one. Okay, uh, yeah. Starring the aforementioned as a stereotypical, jo- t- stereotypical jock excuse mm. me, uh, before he was a megastar and adopting third world children left and right with that chick who made out with her brother. Uh, also has the lovely Jill Sholin as the heroine and Donovan Leitch as a bug-eyed classmate who may or may not be a killer. Uh I don't know. There's just a lot to like about this movie. It's a school set, and uh, it has a scene with Brad Pitt's head and a. Vi- 
I script. Uh, Jill Sholin gets half naked. Uh, woohoo. Uh, the killer's final monologue is especially priceless. Uh, it really makes no sense. He, uh, he corners the final girl, uh, Jill, in a classroom, and he says, How can I kill people in the past, the future, or change the course of history forever? And then he goes on off of this tangent about Yankee Doodle Dandy. And then the movie kind of like kicks into overdrive with one of the best chase sequences ever. Uh, and it kind of segues into this ending, uh, this final battle in shop class where they use every manner of tool possible to like attack one another. And uh, there's also a great bit where um, the killer, he, you know, he has Jill Sholin's character trapped inside of a classroom with a teacher. And he kind of presents the both of them with this like complex mathematical equation about trains meeting at specific times due to their varying speeds and stuff and such. Uh, one one of the the right answer will lead to one door, which, which is freedom, and the wrong one will lead to the wrong door, which is death. Uh, the teacher, you know, he thinks he's figured it out, so he obviously picks the wrong door, and the killer whacks him in the face with an axe, and he says. He didn't account for the difference in time zones. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people seem to hate this one, uh, but I think it has a lot of like underlying like gallows humor, and it has like a really good uh, a wall of voodoo uh, pop soundtrack to it, and it's just real plucky and quirky, and I think it's underrated actually. Yeah, You're awesome. a Yankee Doodle Dandy to you, Joseph. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you too must kill or die. Time to burn. I wonder if um, Brad Pitt ever talks about this film. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. <laughs> but um, I, I, yeah, I, it's another one of those films I haven't seen for years and years and years. But I remember it being quite a good time. I mean, it obviously came at the well, not tail end, beyond the tail end of the slasher movie thing when it kind of become a little bit almost self-referential before referential before Scream came along. Um, but I, I love, I love those. It'd be great that someone did. Um, maybe we should do um, a, a thing with all of like the people like uh, Daryl Hannah having her throat sewn back up in the final terror and um, Brad Pitt with his head in the vice and doing a nice little little sequence of clips of um, before they were famous being um, often slasher movies would be would be great. Um, the only thing it's a shame I've never seen um, uh, his wife die in any slasher movies because she is quite annoying, isn't she, Angelina Jolie? <laughs> Because I saw I saw Salt the other day, and it was this idea where you're talking about sort of having in urban legend with Rebecca Gayhart being able to lift people off the ground, and the idea that Angelina Jolie can even lift a gun, let alone do anything else, is 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 bizarre. But um, she sure can lift a lot of children out of Africa. She she can. She's, she's got fifty <laughs> children now, I believe, yeah, under her arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's, I mean, I, I think it's a great, it's a, you know, it's a good, it's a good fun film. And I mean, Donovan Leach, it's, I don't know, has he done anything since? He's one of, it's kind of like that crossroads, isn't it? Brad Pitt. Uh, he's, in in a, super... he's in a new wave. He's obviously, he's the son of uh, Donovan. Donovan, uh, yeah. Famous yeah. Donovan. And he's in a new wave band called Nancy Boy, or he was in a mm. new wave band called Nancy Boy. Right. Uh, that's really all I know. He's also uh, Ioni Sky's brother. Yes, yeah. It's just funny, isn't it, that we've got Brad Pitt that went one way into seeds into Thelma and Louise and, and Seven and then Superstardom and then the others kind of went off in another direction and it didn't do a great deal more, really. We're not a high-profile stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's another film uh, I have to come around and watch again. So, um, you know, thanks, Joe. Anything else to say about uh, Cutting Class? I love it. That's all I can say. I love it. And I don't care what anyone says. I love it. <laughs> Well, um, just seeking on from that, what Joe just said about uh, cutting class, and I make no apologies for my number one. 
Um, and uh, some of you, some of you listening, may know that I will defend this film to my dying days, and that is, I still know what you did last summer. Um, I just think it's the the funnest um, of those kind of nouveau slashes from the late nineties. Um, it got absolutely panned when it came out, not by just by critics but fans alike. I mean, even people who liked the first film, which I kind of liked the first film. It's um, I, I still remember very clearly seeing the trailer for I Know What You Did Last Summer at the cinema, maybe playing when Scream was um, out, or certainly quite soon after that, and had a great trailer with that kind of, like, I know what, you know, and they, ongoing on like that, and it was, it just remember thinking, wow, the Slash movie is back. And it, it fizzled out very quickly, but what I liked about I Know What you, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer is it just takes the seriousness of the first film throws it out the window, but keeps enough of a serious edge um, so it doesn't descend completely into parody. Um, but it, it's just everything amped up to 10. It is just stupid. You've got a killer who, rather than just killing um, Jennifer Love Hewitt and her new friends, who obviously Jennifer Love Hewitt survived the first film, uh, decides to pretend um, to uh, award them a prize for a holiday to a Caribbean island. Now, out of all the killer's motives and things like that, it just seems so bizarre that a killer would decide, okay, what am I going to do? I am going to send my potential victims off to a Caribbean island on me, so I'm going to max out my credit cards, send them to a Caribbean island, um, and then stalk them there. And when they're there, I'm going to terrorise them by putting them into trying to cook them alive in sunbeds. And, of course, the, the thing that I love the most and the thing which I think is the most amazing touch ever in these films is when Jennifer Love Hewitt is singing I Will Survive on, on the karaoke machine and then it comes up the legend I still know and though the filmmaker's tongue must have been very much in his cheek when they were coming up with that but the thing which makes it so good for me is it's got that cheesiness it's got that fun it's got Jeffrey Coombs it's got Jack Black it's got you know um, it's you know it's got all of these great elements but it also has the killer being scary got great stalking scenes got a fantastic location it's got everything you could want in a, in a slasher movie for me. Um, and it's the essence of fun, over-the-top, silly, but scary, everything coming together, gelling really well, um, the, the best early 80s slasher movies had. Um, so I don't really understand the hate for it. You know, I've been gone on record for many years saying how much I love this film. Um, and, you know, I would say maybe it's not my top 10 slasher movies of all time, but it certainly is up there with a lot of my favourite films. And piece for piece, I probably enjoy this more than the Scream films. Um, so, how about you guys? Are you you lovers or haters? I love it. I'm a lover. Um, I love it. Pleasure. Oh, we'll see. Not everyone hates There's it. Then, one... so. I want to ask you. Uh, you know how the killer basically sends them to this tropical island mm. on his dime. I hope he had frequent fire miles because mm. uh, that'd be expensive. And he's also. I mean, I'm going to spoil it. Uh, it turns out there's someone helping him, and it's his son. So obviously he's got to have his son in college too. So he's paying for his tuition. Uh, it just seems like a rather expensive way to go about, you know, ending someone's life. I mean, that's a lot of money to put into it. <laughs> but it's also got that fantastic um, clue, hasn't it? That the um, the uh, Will the Benson, 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 Benson. Yeah. and it's kind of like, wow, that's worthy of Agatha Christie. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he even put a clue into his false name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's kind of, but, um, but I thought I thought it was. Um, I mean, it is a hoot. I, I I really love the film. I love. Um, is it Brandy? Is the name of the, Brandy, the girl, yes. the singer? There's a scene where she 
is in a sunbed, I think, and she's screaming and she's face face to kill her. Then it cuts away to another scene and it comes back about 10 minutes and we're still at the same stage we were with Brandy yeah. screaming face yeah. to face with the killer. It's it's hilarious. Um, I, I mean, I think people's problem with the film was that they couldn't take silliness. Yeah. And I think if you are going to be a slasher fan, you have to. Another thing I like about the movie is uh, it's constantly raining i love movies that you know uh feature a lot of rain uh friday the 13th part five does that at the very end any slasher film that has like torrential downpours i'm going to automatically like i don't care what it is no absolutely i think it's i think it's great and it ends and you know when those kind of downbeat endings we're talking about earlier uh nathan was talking about with um uh, chain letter and it ends on a on a downer with um julie james jennifer love hewitt being pulled under the bed and then ends on that really beautiful song Gorecki by lamb which is kind of it just got like a weirdly poignant ending and then of course it's followed they completely fucked it up by following if i i'll all always know what they what you did last summer which i'm not taking credit for it because i'm sure they came up with that they that was always going to be a title but i remember when i entered the um my review of i still know what they did last summer i said I really look forward to if they make I'll always know what you did last summer and they did but um, I, I seem to remember there were talks about um, doing it and having Jennifer Love Hewitt going into the woods and doing some kind of survivalist weekend um, uh, storyline which they didn't go to um, they obviously went with a with a really crappy, that would have been great yeah that would have been a lot better been than good. what they come up with well they came Did up with something is, yeah. what, is it, what, what is the continuity in that movie like because um, shouldn't it be like I should know what you've done a few summers ago and know, not last I summer I know well it's kind of I yeah. it's, 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 it, it's bizarre I mean they, they just obviously went for the the, the, the the biggest hook I kind of guess for one a better term no but the other thing this, I don't know yeah. if you ever, any of you have seen it but the I think it's the Bollywood film yeah. Shush have you seen Oh, sorry. I was going to say the Bollywood film. Oh, sorry. I think it's I think it's either Shush or one of the one of the films um, where they lift the whole scenes from I know what you did last summer in Urban Legends. They could just completely recreate them. And What's it they, called? I think it's um, it's either Shush. Um, I think it's the one that lifts out Scream. Then there's uh, Dun the Fog. They're all kind of made after this, but they one of them. It starts with the beginning of this film when she's in the confessional and she's talking to the priest, and it turns out to be um, the killer. And they just completely lift it. And then they have the scene from Urban Legend where the um, the turnaround bright eyes scene. So they just lift all these, cherry pick. But they have the killer has, I think he has a hook for hands and a southwester as well. But they have added song, uh, singing and dancing Bollywood numbers. Um, so if you haven't seen that, it's definitely worth seeing. It's about five and a half hours long, but it's that's oh, really wow. good fun. <laughs> It's a Bollywood film. It's Bollywood. Have you not? Yeah, I've reviewed them on Hysteria Lives. They, they think there's ah, three or four Bollywood I films that rip off the. I think slash I missed that time. one. I'll have to check that out. That actually yeah. sounds really interesting. They're, it does actually. Yeah. Re- you, you should watch it. It's fantastic. There's, there's a brilliant bit in the. I think it's either Shush or Dun the Fog, um, where the killer, um, dressed as the killer from I know we did last summer, he someone's out outside in the snow walking around. The killer lies, digs himself under the snow, covers himself both co- completely, and then jumps out and kills this person as they walk past, which I think is that a great sounds like way. the uh, snowman bit in Iced we talked yeah, about. Yeah, I was that. <laughs> so I'm glad that um, um, I still know what he did last summer. In fact, arguably, um, those films actually had more of an um, inspiration for films around the world. There's um, uh, a great 
South Korean film called The Record or Record, um, which is an oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, I love that movie. It's really good. Yeah, Yeah. that's got. But definitely, you should, you guys, anyone listening, seek out the um, the Bollywood films, the rip off these films because they are really good fun. They go on forever, and there's loads of singing and dancing them, but they actually just recreate some of these um, scenes really, really well. So um, yeah, that's that's my take. That's my number one guilty pleasure. So Nathan, what I think I know. Uh, sadly, I know what your number one is. So um, sadly, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, my number one guilty pleasure is Splatter University, where the school colors are blood red, and not only classes are cut. I uh, really enjoy it. I think that it is hilarious. I mean, I could laugh all the way through this movie. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is the main girl, the teacher, Julie. She finds her best friend murdered at the school in a closet. And the next day, she's sitting on the um, the bleachers outside, and the dean of the school, you know, comes up to her, and he's like, "Is something been troubling you, my dear? I mean, you know, finding my dead best friend in a closet. Oh, that was nothing." And and then she's like, "Well, my best friend was just killed." And he's like, "Oh, I wasn't thinking about that." Uh, <laughs> and then the killer in the movie's hilarious. I mean, I I won't spoil it, but the ending, he mentions that all these women are trying to drain him of his precious fluids and that they must die for that. (laughs) Uh, I love Francine Forbes in the movie known as Forbes Riley today, the infomercial lady. Mm -hmm. Um, They, the movie I think is uh, hilarious because like the, there's so many scenes that are pointless in this movie. And there's also one scene that uh, I know Joseph always gets a kick out of where the a guy scares the, these two girls and a guy in an apartment and it focuses on all their three faces screaming at once. It's like, <laughs> ah, 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 it's just so fake. Yeah, it's very phony. And then uh, for Eric, I have to say that the redhead before she gets killed probably has the worst fashion sense I've ever seen in my life. Ooh, I'm sold now. It's it's awful. I mean, I can't even explain how bad her fashion sense is. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it's a great movie. Um, it's very funny, and I know Justin disagrees. Well, I I haven't. It's again, it's one of these films I haven't probably haven't seen for over a decade. So maybe I'll go back and maybe I'd watch again and think it was it was great. But I do remember don't thinking, do it. don't, don't do, do it. <laughs> but I do remember thinking at the time that it was um, really mean spirited. Uh, I mean, obviously the. You know, the final girl dies, which is probably giving too much away. But, you know, it kind of it just seems to be really mean spirited. And that's I does that not come through when you watch it now? Yeah. See, I wish they would have changed the ending. I do admit, like, I loved her character and it really bothered me that she died at the end. I I was really uh, not very happy about that. But everything that came before that, I thought was cheesy fun. I just think they kind of screwed up with that ending. But, Mm. you know. I'll just always, you know, I'll stop it before the ending. That way, to me, she always survives. Okay, okay. Well, um, we've done we've done over an hour now on this, so we're we're kind of um, filling out, uh, padding our time out nicely. So that's good. So because um, we ran a bit short with the last episode, so but this one it looks like it's going to be a bumper crop. So have we got anything else to say about our kind of guilty pleasures, guys, or should we move on to our feature presentation? I just wanted to say that if it was um, a non-slasher guilty pleasure, my number one would have been Dirty Dancing, and I think that would be no surprise to anyone. But of course, but of course. (laughs) Yes. And we shall look out for Eric's um, podcast on Dirty Dancing coming to uh, (laughs) iTunes near you. He'll probably get more listeners than we do, actually. Right, okay, well, let's move on to our feature presentation. Um, Eric's going to take us into this, but before we start, um, I'm going to play the uh, TV spot for Graduation Day. 
There are 200 seniors at Midvale High and seven days till graduation. The class of 81's having the time of their life. Now showing it at theater or drive in near you. Yes, that's uh, as Justin said. Justin said uh, that's one of the original TV spots for uh, graduation day, which was back in 1981, almost 30 years now since it was released. And this was an era when I had hair, and when Justin's only care in the world was where the next roller disco was. If, if last week's podcast is to be believed, <laughs> uh, here's my brief synopsis of graduation day. And believe me, it only requires a brief synopsis because there isn't a huge amount of plot involved. And the film opens with a high school sports day. And the star of the track team, Laura, is seen winning a race. Shortly after winning, uh, she collapses and dies before she has a chance to collect her medal. And when I say collapses, what I mean is she waves her hands in the air a bit, her mouth gapes open, and she sort of crawls down to the ground. And this is just one of the first, this is one of the first of many cheesy moments in the film. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love the film so much. Anyway, Laura's sister, Anne, returns from duty with the Navy to attend the high school and pick up her sister's posthumous diploma. But meanwhile, someone is offing all the members of the, the track team in the high school one by one, seemingly as revenge for the death of Laura. And as they do, they cross off the faces of each victim on the uh, on this picture, a la prom night. You'll know exactly who the killer is because it gives it away. I only discovered this the other day. It tells you exactly which character does the killing. But um, slasher fans should be able to pick up who the killer is fairly early on in the proceedings. I mean, there's plenty of red herrings. First of all, we have Christopher George, who we seem to mention every week. I, I'm beginning to think he's in all of these movies. He's far more ubiquitous than Jamie Lee Curtis, it seems. He plays the wonderfully named coach George Michaels, believe it or not. Uh, he's the aggressive, hard-ass coach of the track team. Uh, then there is Laura's boyfriend, who looks a tad like Leo Sayer, uh, and he seems far too old to be in high school. I mean, I think this actor surely must be in his mid-30s and he's playing a 16-year-old. Elsewhere, the film is littered with lots of um, famous horror faces. You've got Michael Pataki, and he plays the high school principal. He was also in Sweet 16 with uh, Hysteria Lives favourite Dana Kimmel. Uh, he was also in Halloween 4, which we were trashing earlier. Well, I was anyway. Um, you have Linnea Quigley, and she makes an early appearance as the trashy Dolores and Fanna White, who apparently is famous, but she completely bypassed me. I have to say, I've never. Um, maybe our US friends here can tell us more about Fanna White, but she certainly made no impact in Ireland here. And she appears as one of two girls who <laughs> come in and out of the film at regular intervals, talking over each other and seemingly improvising their dialogue in a hilariously bad way. And Justin, I sent you an example. If you have it there to play, I do. This is here we go. Do you want to introduce it? Yes, this is um, Dolores and, oh, no, sorry, this is Doris and Joanne um, who accidentally frighten one of their friends in the room, and this is the conversation they have. Yes, she was scared so much she wet her panties. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Can you tell us more about Vanna White, Nathan, and jo Joseph? Because she's an enig enigma to us. She yeah. made a career out of turning letters on a yeah, game show called Wheel of Fortune. All right. She wears these slinky, uh, crystallized dresses and basically walks across the stage, turns a letter, and claps. And is that the whole basis for her fame? 
Yes. Well, she's pretty, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that on Wheel of Fortune, I think that she's, she's only the there is because of, of a sex symbol, because they could easily get these um, letters computerized to turn on their own or something. See, but I she's just there. She should be spinning the wheel. Um, Pat Sajak should be spinning the letters. There you go. <laughs> Does she still anyway, do Will of Fortune? Does she, is she still still on it, or is she only in the eighties? She 80s? still is. She yeah, it's really. She, is. she still is. Yeah, wow. she's like pushing she's, seventy she... now, but she's still. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Well, they don't they don't do close ups anymore. I don't think now it's just you know far away shots of her, well, like a Vaseline yeah. over a lens or over a face or something. Sort of <laughs> all the duct tape holding her. Together. Actually, there are a lot of them. Um, oh, yeah. Some sequences in Graduation Day where it looks like Vaseline has been smeared around the edge of the frame. It does. I think that it has that Troy, sort of Troy soft focus re- look. Troy was remastering, I think, in inverted commas, the DVD, which was yes. um, which they had the cheek of saying fully remastered, or quite what they did to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was certainly no, anywhere near sure. a remaster. Um, so, sorry, Eric. I was just going to say, actually, just very very quickly before you, you go on, just about Vanna White, is um, she missed a calling in, in John Waters' movies, those two girls. I could see them just <laughs> going on to John Waters' films because they were just kind of, they were wittering in almost like a Boston accent, even though this film was shot in Los Angeles. It was kind of, it was just, it's wittering. And they just turned up, the two of them, Time and time again, walking through the woods, wittering, um, to going to locker rooms, wittering, you know, just wittering the, the whole way through that film, which um, was a, a cheesy delight. So, um, There's sorry, a hilarious Eric, bit where uh, Christopher George is holding the fencing sword and they're just standing in the corner going, ah, yeah. ah, ah, <laughs> over and over. Yeah. <laughs> and they're holding each other, too. Yes, yeah. holding yes. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. What, what, Eric, um, what else? Have, sorry, what? sorry, Justin? No, sorry, you carry on. Sorry, I was just going to say... Uh, I mean, I know opinion is divided on this amongst the four of us, but I have to say this is one of my favourite films of the era. Um, I mean, I'm the first to admit it's not Halloween, it's not Friday the 13th, it's not My Bloody Valentine. Um, I think it's an absolute hoot, though. I mean, it more or less fails as a successful horror film, but it's got this energy and a sense of fun that I find irresistible. It's all over the place structurally. It's... You know, the heroine of the film, the final girl played by Patch McKenzie, um, she disappears from the film for about 40 minutes, um... And the, the camera and the story sort of focuses on, you know, characters that really end up have nothing to do with the film, like the high school principal and his secretary. And there's characters that there's no time spent to them at all, and they turn out to be, you know, victims. Which is, you know, Friday the Thirteenth at least gives a certain amount of setup to each victim. This one, like the character of Ralph, who's the jock who gets the the spiked uh, American football through the stomach. Uh, he literally has maybe 40 seconds of screen time with the wittering girls before he's killed. The same with the guy who does the pole vault into the bed of spikes. I mean, I don't even know what the character's name was. Um, but it, it, it doesn't matter to me because uh, the film is so cheesy. And I think the cheesiest bit of it probably is the killer himself, who dresses in this kind of um, grey tracksuit uh, and fencing mask. And if when he's running through the woods chasing Linnea Quigley in particular, you can see his legs sort of spin on the spot like he's a cartoon character in Scooby-Doo or something. Because I was expecting the sound effect of to accompany him as he sort of winds up to sort of run after her. Um, and it's blessed with not one, not two, but three of the cheesiest songs you were ever going to hear. There's the intro, which is... Um, a song called The Winner, I think. There's um, everybody Felony. Wants to be winner. Yes, Everybody Wants to Be a Winner. Then there's Felony, and uh, they perform the great song Gangster Rock. They actually have three songs in the soundtrack. Uh, actually, I was going to do a little quiz here, if you don't mind, and I'm going to ask Justin this, because I think he might be the one who mightn't know the answer, okay. if that's okay, Justin. Go on, then. 
Is it a toy? Felony. Is it a toy? No, no, it's about felony. Felony also have a song on the soundtrack of another famous 80s slasher. Can you name it? Um, mm, we've stumped the expert. <laughs> well, I'm the expert in slasher movies, not bad um, 80s music like <laughs> Felony and Toy. Um, so, well, no, I pass it over to our American friends. I know it is. Okay, I'm going to have to pass it over. Just okay, to... Nathan, you know it. Nathan? Uh, graduation day. <laughs> That's what we're talking That's about. What we're talking about. <laughs> you, Joseph, do you know? <laughs> okay, I'm probably wrong, but isn't it... He's looking at it on IMDb. No, no, no. no, no. Uh, is... You are, you are. Oh, is it it's Fatal Games? Fatal, no. Fatal Games? No. Okay, what, what is it? Then? Yeah, I'm going to have to give away the answer. It's Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. They have a song called I'm No Animal. Uh-huh. It's playing in the... Um, Motorhome. Oh, Darcy or, DeMoss or, is uh, having yes. her sex scene. Wow, I didn't, know, I didn't know that. So they're That's not a felony. They're not a yeah. made-up group, then. Sorry? They're not a made-up group. <laughs> no, they actually... And they had a modicum of success in the 80s. They had a song called... I have it written down here somewhere. That was a hit, apparently, in the 80s. No, I haven't it written down here. But they had one song that was a hit, apparently. Um, but uh, Linnea Quigley was friends with the girlfriend of the lead singer, and they were in a band together, so she knew Felony already. Uh, okay. And you can read more about that on the uh, Hysteria Live site. You've put up some interviews today, Justin, haven't you? Yo, Eric, is, uh, um, did, you've done three interviews, haven't you? We've done four, actually, but three of them are online at the moment. Um, if you want to tell us who you've interviewed. Uh, there was Linnea Quigley, who plays Dolores. She was lovely. Uh, Patch McKenzie, who plays the final girl, Anne. And Linda Shane, who plays the jogger through the woods, who's name is Paula. The character's name is Paula. I like She has one of those big 80s headphones. And actually, she's listening to a felony track as well, because when her headphones come off, you get the sound out of the headphones. Fantastic. Well, um, go, to, go to hysteria-lives.co.uk um, to, uh, to, to listen to those, or not listen, to read those um, interviews. There's, it's great. It's the women of graduation day. So, you know, huge thanks to Eric and those, those people took part. And that was fantastic. Um, I'm just going to say very quickly about Felony. Sorry, just kind of, just while it um, reminds me, it's kind of that whole 80s band thing, which obviously this is the thing in a lot of Slash movies had the band. But Felony have that kind of, um, that thing, it's like a lot of those kind of bands at the time where they look like truckers in lip gloss. And, you know, those kind of like really ugly yeah. men, mannish men who've put a bit of eyeliner and lippy on. And it just doesn't look right, does it? Um, you mean like it's... Susie? <laughs> no, <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not like Susie, who obviously looks marvellous in whatever she has on. I'm just talking about those kind of uh, those things where they had like new wave of people. And it kind of works on pretty boys, I can guess. But when you've got someone who looks like a trucker, um, I used to, who's got like lip gloss on and we used to go I'm if we're giving this away when I lived in Brighton there was a bar um, we used to go to called Marilyn's and it was a gay bar um, and it had um, but it had loads of transvestites there and I'm not a transvestite obviously but we used to go there it used to, it used to be the only place so I'm going to you protest too much you could you can buy you could you know you couldn't buy Scottish scat porn so I'm not going to go into any of that but what I was going to say it's the only place that was open after hours so we used to go there and um all the trucker, what used to call them trucker trannies, and it was all the men who couldn't pass as women at all. And but they would have, they would have like big hairy chests and like you know sort of nut hairy knuckles and big wigs and lots of sequins on. And you pass them, they go, oh love this kind of thing. And this would remind me, Felony was a bit like that with these kind of very butch looking men, but all wearing eyeliner and um, lippy, and it, it's it's just 
bit wrong really. So but anyway, that's just that's my that's probably too much for me. So Eric, what was um, carry on? Uh, well, the other person I spoke to was uh, Martin J. Sadoff, mm. who is the editor on the film, and we have actually an audio interview with him. If you want to play yes. that now, okay. And here is Martin J. Sadoff and Eric talking to him. Okay, well, I'm delighted to be joined by Marty or Martin J. Sadoff. And if the name sounds familiar, that's because his name literally leaps off the screen in the opening credits of Friday the 13th, Part 3. And we'll touch on that a little bit later on. But first, we're going to talk about uh, Graduation Day, which is our film of today. Um, Martin, Marty, even, sorry, how did you get involved in the film? I got a call from Herb Fried, the director, um, to would I care to edit Graduation Day? And um, I was told, actually, I had a bigger, you know, Friday the 13th was in the works at that time, but Paramount had not put anything together, and I had some free time, and I said, okay, I'll do it. Did you know him previously? No, I didn't know him. Um, I'm trying to think about exactly what happened. There was a call for an editor, and I knew one of the people on the staff. And um, I guess he was looking for somebody, and I was recommended to him. It was a very good experience with him. Um, as I said, he was the one director I work with that stayed in the editing room all the time. You know, usually, like, the director comes in and says, I'll see you next week when you get a cut. But Herb was there for every edit. Were you on the set of the film? Um I was on the set of the film, um, not a lot, because we were cutting as we were shooting, but yes, I did go on the set. And did you get to uh, mingle with the cast at all? There were some big names, uh, some big horror names, like Christopher George, Linnea Quigley, in there. I, yes, I did get to meet them, and they there were people coming in and out of the editing room all the time as well. They wanted to see what they looked like, and, you know, they're... They were, they were always commenting, oh, use my left side, use my right side. Um, so, yes, I did get to meet them. The only depressing part of it is, is that uh, I never, I was very close to Herb's wife. Never knew at all during the entire production that she was dying of cancer. And um, I was a little bit disappointed that when after the whole thing was over, because I was involved in the opening and, you know, kind of getting the theaters and all that kind of stuff, that I wasn't invited to the funeral. And uh, th this was, according to the IMDb, which I know isn't gospel, this is your second credit as a film editor, your first being 10 years previously. I actually, the IMDb is totally uh, incorrect about a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> if, this was, if, this, if I may talk about this, mm -hmm. like right now I'm, I'm a 3D supervisor, I'm working at Stereoscope. This is where you're calling. All right, yeah. Okay, I'm doing 3D to 2D movies, all the t 2D to 3D conversions of mm -hmm. films. I've worked on the IMAX film Mars. Um, recently, I've done... I have never stopped working in 3D. Mm -hmm. um, I was a consultant to Deluxe uh, last summer um, on, the, on setting up the 3D routine for Saw 7. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked uh, with Vince Pace. I've worked with. I have not stopped working. <laughs> it says, but there's no category in the IMBD for 3D. Can you remember? Was there much left out of the film? It has kind of a 
strange structure where some characters appear out of nowhere and are killed off within minutes, which right. I know is par for the course in films of that type. But right. can you remember if there was much left on the cutting room floor or parts were cut out? There was a lot left on the cutting room floor, actually, because um, I worked with Herb during the editing on it. Actually, he was in the editing room every day. Usually, the director leaves you alone, but mm-hmm. he didn't. Um, it was the beginning of the slasher era, and he did not believe in getting involved, like with backstories, which I did believe in. Like, my cut had more of a backstory to the characters, mm-hmm. you know, and who they were, because I felt that just killing people off was stupid. There's actually um, quite an interesting editing technique in the film. I don't know if it was your idea the or the director. Those slash cuts where it kind of strobes. Those are my flash cuts. And I'll tell you, they were very difficult to do in those days because you actually had to cut negative, mm. and the flash cuts are two frames each all the way through. And the reason for the flash cuts is he never showed the murders. The only way that I could make something happen and seem dramatic was I flash cut the whole picture. Yes, because it's, it's quite unusual for the uh, um, for films of 1981 onwards not to show lots of sort of graphic stabbings and killings and that. Was, you know, Herb hmm? Fried was a rabbi. The reason those flash cuts are put in, Herb didn't like the flash cuts. I put them in because there was no way for me to get from point A to point B. I didn't have the shot. Now that I look back at it, I, I felt like at the beginning he didn't know how to do a horror film at the time, to be honest with you. Hmm. But now, when I look back at it, like 20 years later, or whatever it is... 30, um, yeah. Um, I think that maybe because he was a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I mean, we think it's a great film. A fu- a really, sorry, a fun film is probably... A I movie. have a copy of it, by the way. I have the 35-millimeter waterfront. Oh. Yeah, because, um, uh, well, obviously, being in my mid-30s, I was too young to watch it in the cinemas when it came out. But, um, so, uh, but so I do have a 35 print of it, and it's run quite frequently, actually. It's, it's the same version, I assume, as what we have on DVD and VHS, is it? Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lot of improv um, dialogue in the film, and I'm wondering if that produ- uh, presents any problems for you when it came to editing. No, that film was shot pretty close to the script. Um, I had a line script, and um, either that or it was a great, great script supervisor, but I found none of that to be the case. All right, because there's two characters in it called um, Joanna and Doris, one of which is played by Vanna White, and uh, they seem to be um, improvising a lot. They weren't, actually. Vanna White became very famous Mm. after that. And uh, no, it was it was pretty much line on line on the script. It's actually a very easy film to cut because I had a I had a shooting script on one side, and uh, no, and if she was improvising, it was pretty much within the course of what was written. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you got the gig on graduation day, were you familiar with a lot of the films of that type that were around, like Halloween, Prom Night, Friday the Thirteenth, and did they influence you at all? No, as a matter of fact, a very strange part of it all was um, my father owned Janice Films, which in the United States was all the foreign films, and I was really used to like the work of Georges-Henri Clouseau and things like that, like very, um, I wasn't into the slasher films at all, and it was very interesting that it was right in the middle of graduation day that I got called um, to do Friday the 13th. 
but I had never I had never been a Friday the Thirteenth fan or a horror film fan at all. And actually, what was really great about this film, it brought me right into it. And I walked, I finished graduation day, and the next day walked into Friday the Thirteenth. That's interesting because graduation day, from what I can tell, opened the same weekend as Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. It's rather strange, and the funny thing that you'll never believe is I never saw. Friday the 13th Part 2 until after I started working on Friday the 13th Part 3. So they obviously had Part 3 in mind before Part 2 was even released. Well, the difference was that Part 1 and Part 2 were paramount pickups. They were not made by the studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened at the end was, um, uh, let me just get this exactly right, Part 2 um, was the neg pickup that Paramount just released. And they didn't buy the series until Friday the 13th Part 3. That's the first film they owned. The others were just releases that were made by the Barsanian family in, um, in Boston, Massachusetts, who owned a company called Esquire Theaters. And they actually put up the money for Friday the 13th Part 1 and Part 2. And that's the reason that Jason took on such a different look in Part 3, where in Parts 1 and 2 he just wore a bag on his head. But no, that's the funny thing about it. Everybody asked me that question. Well, you know, Part 2 opened the same day, and then you went on and did Part 3. So how much relationship was there? I never saw Friday. I saw Friday the 13th Part 2 a hundred times, like starting two weeks after um, Graduation Day came out but I never saw it before. The DVD and VHS prints that we have over here in Europe, anyway, of Graduation Day seem quite dark. And I was wondering if you have an original 35mm print, does it look... Um, Not at all. My print is gorgeous. When the Graduation Day was done, the VHS was just coming out. Mm. In fact, I don't even have a deal on the VHS part of it. But... Um, no, the, I have a I have a thirty five print that's fifteen years old that looks pretty nice. What um, screen ratio is it in? It was in one six six. He made it so that it really could be. There were no hard mats on it, you know. Mm. He did it in one six six. I kind of really framed it to be honest with you for one eight five. I I did watch it about a year and a half ago. I have a Blu ray on it. And it was on television a bunch of times on direct TV, yes, and I did watch it. And I thought that for what Herb shot, that it worked out really well. It was a scary movie. I thought it had that feeling of being a bigger budget than it was. I mean, the, the entire budget was like a lunch budget, you know. Um, he, he bought used ends for film. I mean, it was just opposite of Paramount, you know what I mean? Like... Paramount, we had to use the correct emulsions, the correct boxes, the correct everything. And which which one was so, more fun to work on then? Was it the low-budget one where... And I will tell you this. Friday the 13th was, was a lot of fun, but at the end of the two years, everybody was ready to kill each other. <laughs> it was so intense. Mm. It was so much work. It was... I, I would have to show up at the studio and run the dailies with the executives in 3D, then I had to drive about 70 miles from downtown to Saugus, where the movie was being shot. Then I had to stay at night and run the dailies with the crew. Then I had to go home to Marina Del Rey, which was like another 70 miles, to get up in four hours to go back to Paramount again. What was your background in 3D prior to 
getting that job? Um, my background was when I started, I attended NYU, the year of Marty Scorsese and Mike Wadley and all that. Mm-hmm. And my father actually was the head of Janus Films that brought all the foreign films in from into the United States, the Godard films and the Truffaut films. So I was never really exposed to American films. And one afternoon, he took me to the local movie theater, and I saw Creature from the Black Lagoon. And from that point on, I, that's all I ever wanted to do. And in the doing of the Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th was not a low-budget film. Um, the, the, ed, the editor on Friday the 13th had just finished Officer and a Gentleman. Um, he just recently died, George Hively. And uh, the, the cameraman had just come off of Steel Wheels with the Rolling Stones. So a high caliber of crew on that film. Yes, they had a very high caliber crew in case because there were a lot of young people and they weren't sure that the 3D would work. Steve Miner wanted a 3D movie that could be handheld, could be kind of like Saw, um, that could be handheld, could be on a Lumacrane. It was the first movie shot totally on a Lumacrane, and it was totally different from today's way of shooting because it was shot off a single camera. Friday the 13th was a career for me. Yeah. Um, I ended up doing all of the, the TV promos for it, and then we did a movie right on top of it that didn't do very well called The Man Who Wasn't There. I, mean, I, I stayed with the I stayed with the series. I I edited part seven. I don't know if you know that. I did, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I stayed with it for between those as just helping out. And I directed, I co-directed the TV series. And I was supposed to go to Toronto, where the TV series mm-hmm. came out. I came up with the we couldn't use Jason in those days on television because I thought it was too scary. So I came up in Buffalo behind the big vaudeville theater. There used to be a magic shop, and that's where the idea came up for the television series for Friday the 13th. Oh, so you came up with the idea, did you? Yes, it's my idea. Well, Martin J. Sadoff, thank you so much for talking to us today. Okay. And best of luck with your 3D projects in the future. Thanks so much, and I hope to talk to you soon. Okay, and thanks, Eric. And uh, speaking to Martin J. Sadoff there, who was the um, the film editor on Graduation Day, which is the film we're talking about at the moment. Um, did you? I should have. Sorry. Sorry. Go on. I was just going to say I, I meant to mention before we played the clip that there are were some going to be some audio issues with it because uh, it was done over two days. And the second time I rang him, he was on a hands-free kit and the audio was quite low. So I had to boost that. And then that created all kinds of echo effects that I wasn't able to uh, reduce, I'm afraid. So apologies for that. Well, as we know, our loyal listeners, all five of them, um, have uh, listened to lots of audio problems with us. Because as, as we know, as we said before, we're doing this over Skype in mm-hmm. um, on two sides of the Atlantic all at the same time. Yes. So it's... It's so um, if there is any sound issues, which there doesn't have been too many today, then um, please be kind to us because we uh, that's the only way we can do it. So um, file it under blow me. Sorry, exactly, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so fuck you if you don't like it. You don't have to listen. So anyway, um, okay, Eric. Harsh. harsh, I know, harsh but fair. Okay, Eric. Is there anything else you want to say about graduation day? No, I, just, I think we should hand it over to you guys to see what your opinions are on graduation day. I know that Joseph, I think, disagrees with a lot of what I have to say. Yes. Now I'm going to say what I liked about it, which is very little, and then I'm going to say what I disliked. <gasps> just a lot. <laughs> How dare you? Fighting talk. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah. The one thing I did like about it is the cheesy lounge lizard uh, m- music teacher. He looks just Mr. like Roberts. Stephen King. And his name is, oh, Mr. Roberts. Yeah, yes, yeah. he looks just yeah. like Stephen King uh, with apologies to Mr. Palmer. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, I'm sure that's going to offend him a lot. Um, he inexplicably has women draped all over him. Uh, I, I should say teenagers. He's probably yeah. in his 50s, so he's got these teenagers draped all over him while he's kind of t- tinkling away at the keys. Uh, I liked his character for, you know, funny reasons. And also there's a scene at the end that I really like. Um, after the final girl, uh, Patch McKenzie, was it Patch McKenzie? Yeah. She's yeah. laying in bed yeah. and uh, all of a sudden the killer comes in the door and he's holding a knife and her mother flips on the light and it's actually her stepfather holding a liquor bottle. Mm. And so she, her stepmother escorts him out of the room and she's like, oh, you'll have to forgive him. He's been through a lot lately. And, a lot lately. And I'm thinking, what about her? She was almost just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that's pretty much all I like about the movie. I mean, I don't really dislike the movie intensely, but I think my problem is that there's really no central character to identify with. I mean, mm. Patch McKenzie, she, you know, she's gone for long periods of time and she has no dialogue. And there's lots and lots of padding. I mean, the gangster rock song goes on for 10 minutes, literally 10 mm. minutes. I, I well, like that, that's not a problem for me. I could watch the gangster rock. I for like the song. Minutes. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but you know, 10 minutes, I'm ready to switch to, uh, everybody wants to be the winner. So. Well, as Martin said in the interview, he said that, uh, the director, Herb Freed probably wasn't the best choice for a horror film. And that's why it seems a bit, um, he says mm. in the interviews, like the murders are kind of kept from the viewer. We only see aftermath shots. And I, I kind of mm. wanted to see some of this stuff. Like, I yeah. wanted to see the guy land on the bed, the bed of nails. Mm. I wanted to see like the impalement through the football, and you just don't yeah. want to see that. It kind of irritated me a little bit. Mm. But that's all I. That's really all I have to say about it for the moment. So, okay. go ahead. What about else. you, Nathan? How did you? Um, I liked it. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Graduation Day. I I think uh, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Vanna White and the other girls' characters just keep popping up because my favorite character that keeps showing up and has zero lines is uh, – she doesn't even have a name. I call her Red. At the very beginning, you see this girl in the audience or, or the you know the fans watching the track race, and there's a, a redheaded girl who completely overacts like the whole time. <laughs> She's – I mean I this is a like girl – I like the fact that, you know, she didn't get any lines, so she's going to get her screen time. So every you, you see her pop up like three or four other times in the movie. You know, every time she's uh, still in the show for me, I kept going, hey, there's Red. There's Red again. <laughs> uh, so I, I like her character because I love that overacting bit. Um, and I think Graduation Day it actually has one scene that I think is really creepy. Is at the end when Anne goes up in the bedroom mm-hmm. and finds her dead sister in her cap and gown. I think that's actually a very creepy scene, and I like that. Of course, that then it's a pretty good scene. Mm-hmm. It, it follows it up with some cheesiness, though, because I love the fact that Anne knows martial arts, so she starts utilizing that and the killer coming after her. I didn't think she used it quite enough, though. I wanted to see some more, you know, uh, martial arts action going on. Well, the martial arts in it isn't exactly Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, is it? Like, <laughs> no, not really. Exactly. I think less is more was probably the best approach. <laughs> you t- you it could have been the... even cheesier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I'm a huge fan of Graduation Day. I think it's uh, it's a fun movie. I, I do think that I wish that um, Patch McKenzie would have been in it more, I guess, is my main criticism. Mm. Taking off on what Nathan just said about the uh, the scene in the bedroom at the end, uh, when the the corpse and the killer fall out the window, that always reminded me of, uh, what was it, a straight jacket when a um, <laughs> girl spins around, spins around in a circle and then just falls out the window. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of, and I almost mentioned it when we were at Greg's the other night watching this. And I, uh, you should have done that at Grant Grant's. 
Yeah, it slipped my mind. Well, did you notice, I, I, if you freeze frame it, when they go through the window, obviously the girl was made up to look like a dead body, but when they go through, if you freeze frame it, it isn't her that goes through the window. It, I think it's one of felony um, with too much makeup on, because <laughs> it's obviously a really heavy set man with, in graduation robes with a, with a black wig on, um, which kind of only, only adds to it. I mean... I, I, I graduation day. It's one of those. I remember way, way back in the early eighties or early mid eighties. The graduation day is one of those films I always wanted to see. It was out on I think it was Iva Films in the UK on video, um, and I loved to talking about the, well the artwork is obviously the the um, you know this which has got the kind of the axe coming through the the picture of a very That's shocked looking student right now. That's yeah, which yeah no, which is which is an amazing thing. It's got great um, uh, great tagline. Um, you know, as well. And I, I do, I, you know, I find I'm, I'm torn. Um, I find it very cheesy and I, I, I love bits of it and the bits I really, I love the beginning bit with all the fast cutting. Um, and the crowd reaction is just hilariously over the top, isn't it? They look like they're watching. It's almost like we've got five minutes to save the world. And they're really screaming <laughs> rather than just some crappy high school games where they, in reality, they'd all be sitting there looking at their nails and, you know, sort of like looking a bit bored to be made to sit there. Um, and I love some of the dialogue. I think it's Paula, who I think it's great. She's kind of Paula with like a thunder thighs. And she kind of went, she's talking about, um, is it Paula? And which one's the, no, Paula's the one who gets killed. It's, who's it's the one? Yeah. Who's the one who gets the tracheotomy the, in the, when she's shaving her legs? Oh, um, Sally, is it? Sally, yeah. And yes. she goes, she's talking about Paula going missing. She goes to um, Christopher George. She goes, she's the best cross-country runner we've ever had, and you know it. Sort of like that, when they won't <laughs> wait for her to come for the, the picture. Um, and I love the scene where, which I think they were obviously referencing Friday the 13th, um, where Patch McKenzie is in the car with that fat sleezoid with the neckerchief. And, you know, when she's getting the lift there and he's got this kind of little little yellow neckerchief and he's talking to her and he's saying, oh, I, oh, I hear they were all a couple of lesbos. No, not Australian, but, you know. <laughs> and then she goes, and then he goes, sort of goes, oh, cat got your tongue? I've got plenty of tongue for both of us. Like that. And it's just kind of like, it really, it, it's just so early 80s and so kind of non-PC. Um, I thought it was like, you know, um, really good fun. And I say, what, it, it shows its pedigree really, doesn't it? With like having that Sally character shaving her legs in the mm. sink. I mean, you wouldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis doing that, would you, basically? I, I wouldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis saying, this hey, one's Justin? for you, coach. Sit on it and rotate. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Justin, yeah. I just want to say your American accent is flawless. It is. Thank you. It is flawless. Can you yeah. tell I was trying to vary it from, um, it was, I was going for a bit of an Idaho accent there. Um, I shall try a different one later, but uh, um, one little bit of tip bit of information it was because um, i 've got some uh, i think we 'll come on to uh, talking about sort of like the the great box office mystery in a minute perhaps yeah um, but uh, the, the, I, what I do really like about it, and I thought it was really kind of gimmicky and fun is the whole stopwatch thing of the killer taking thirty seconds to kill um, the people in the film and my what I, I read was that herb Freed, who was the director. Um, we'll get into this a bit more later, but his wife, um, who died either during filming or quite soon afterwards, um, he made a couple of other films. He made Beyond Evil, Evil with, um, I think, uh, Linda Day George and yeah. Haunts in uh, the mid-late 70s. And, um, but they, they weren't particularly successful. So his wife said she was convinced that there was a formula for horror movies. Or, and, um, and what she did, she got stopwatch and timed um, the time between murders in horror movies. 
and that's where the whole stopwatch kind of thing came from for graduation day which i thought was quite like a just like a fun little thing and i said it kind of really you know i just you know liked it. it's very very cheesy um it's a neat gimmick i think it's a neat gimmick isn't it i think it's a really good um gimmick and it's obviously wasn't they weren't taking themselves that that seriously with the film were they i mean it was how could you really well you couldn't really <laughs> although you know obviously i mean eric do you want to talk a little bit about herb freed and stuff what, what do you kind of well, I think M- Marty said most of what we wanted to hear in the interview. It's that he was a former rabbi, and because of that, he probably wasn't the best choice to be making horror films. Mm. Be, you know, probably because I think he was more suited maybe to family-friendly fare. But if I can get back to Beyond Evil, I watched that as well fairly recently, and I don't understand why it wasn't a success because it's got a scene where there's coming for eyes. Which is, you know, who wouldn't pay to see that? Oh, sorry, you broke up a little bit there. Do you want to say that bit oh, again? Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Um, I was saying that I saw Beyond Evil quite recently, yeah. and um, I can't understand why it wasn't a success, because it has a scene where Linda Day George has green lasers coming out of her eyes. Yes. <laughs> and who, who wouldn't pay to see that? Soul. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I have it, unfortunately, on good authority that Linda Day George won't talk about these films now. So, unfortunately, we oh. won't be getting her on the show anytime soon. As much if you're listening, apparently Christopher Linda, George doesn't talk about them anymore either. Ooh. <laughs> well, oops, yes, how insensitive! Very insensitive. But we do, we do seem to be covering lots of Christopher George films, and he is—he is a legend, isn't he? I mean, he's a great. Um, you know, he's he's just really good fun in these films. I mean, I think he kind of sleepwalks through through them. I think he's doing them for the paycheck, but he does add uh, a real grisly, you know, uh, excuse the pun, kind of sense of was- funness for you know in the films. I think he he's very game, um, you know, in them. Um, That's but, another thing I was but, going to mention was Christopher yeah. George. I'm sorry. At the very end, he's like, "I've never killed anyone in my life." Yeah, just the way he says it, it's really hilarious. Well, that's the thing I do like about the the end because although the film does drag a bit in various places, and it kind of lurches from one scene to another with quite incoherently, is the last um, fifteen minutes are quite exciting, and I love when Vanna White and her friend Witter run out of the school screaming, Wittering going, "Get the police! Get the police!" and they're sort of running through, <laughs> and everyone's ignoring them apart from Patch McKenzie, sort of kind of looking over at them, and they're kind of running with their hands in the air, sort of like stereotypical victims. <laughs> Um, but then it kind of seeds into quite a, a fun um, sort of uh, last 15 minutes with obviously Patch McKenzie finding out who the killer is. And I mean, shall we agree to spoil who the killer is? Um, yes, yeah, seeing as the no, Legion 2 no. packet tells you. Yeah, because, I agree. Because because I think the, the thing I want, because the, the killer is, what's his name? E. Dakeshi, isn't it? Um, and I think he's pretty good, actually. I mean, although, but he doesn't really do much for the rest of the film. But at the end of it, he's he's he, his acting is, is cheesy and over the top, but it's pretty effective. And I also like the fact that earlier in the film is the other song you haven't mentioned, Eric, which is the graduation day. Um, I was going to mention that one, blues. Blues, where the, where the killer plays a harmonica, and it must be one of the only slasher movies where the killer plays a harmonica as a kind of like a little, let's have a break from slaughtering my classmates. Let's play yes. a little bit of harmonica. And did you notice all the, all the people sitting around them clapping their hands and singing along had really, really large dental braces? Yes, which is kind of you, yeah. perfect. Oh, and Red is in that scene too, by the way. Oh, is she? Yeah, she makes her nice feels. Um, earlier you mentioned uh, in the very beginning the killer is pretty much given away at the very beginning. You're right. Um, the crowd, everyone in the crowd is like frantic and like excited when she falls, but it shows the actual killer. He's stone faced and he's just kind of, mm. kind of looking. And I'm like, yep, he's the killer. But he's kind of, yeah, I mean, he is, um, 
he is what he is, and he's a killer with a bubble perm, um, and we don't <laughs> use those anymore. So, um, Eric, do you want to talk a little bit about the box office conundrum? Yeah, the box office is a bit of a mystery. We were trying to uncover this. Um, it says on IMDb, and if you, a lot of actually most other sites, all other sites, in fact, that it earned twenty four million at the box office, which can't be right. Mm. It opened the same day as we said in the interview with Marty that uh, it opened the same day as Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, which did, which was the big slasher movie that month anyway uh, opened one week before the burning and two weeks before happy birthday to me and i was just thinking how good it would have been to be 18 in 1981 um but you were saying justin that you imagine maybe the decimal point got moved by mistake and that's where the million that's what I yeah so 2.4 million would sound about more about right i think mm. yeah basically i've done some more digging and um there's a report from the american film distribution the changing marketplace by someone called sm donahue which was released in 1987 um which uh talks about um uh, how much graduation day made in all these films um and in 1981 actually made less than a million dollars at the box office in rentals now the thing is, it's getting a bit nerdy, but the thing is, with the way that they used to collect money back in the early 80s, is they it's different from how they do it now. Now they do total box office. I think basically, if you go in and um, pay for your ticket for $8 or £5 or whatever, that's how much they it kind of it kind of tags it up in that kind of increments. But back then, they just took what they cut the distributors were, were taking from it. So, so in fact, those kind of figures... Um, uh, they would be the final tally would be about two to three times that. So if the film made less than a million dollars in 1981, um, it was still on release in 1982 um, and still you know um, garnering money. But there's no way that it would have made 23 million dollars. So when I've looked at it, it kind of works out at today's um, prices. It's probably made about two to three million, um, or about 2.3 million at the box office. Um, in 1981 to 82, which is averaged out about 8.5 million today in today's box office numbers. So it wasn't a big hit. It made less money than Final Exam, for instance. So I reckon, basically, yeah, the decimal point probably got in the wrong place because it... Yeah, well, it did, no only, it did only cost a quarter of a million to make, so did. they did make a profit, if not a huge profit. Well, it's that, not like that the IMDb a... is, like, very, very reliable anyway. No. Well, it's the number is actually, it seems to originate on thenumbers.com, which is the num, the hyphen numbers.com, which has like a box office tally. Now, it's not like box office or some of the other better known ones, but the number seems to be relatively um, reliable or certainly well-established box office kind of website. Um, so I'm not sure uh, th- that's where this number comes from and people have been, been grabbing it. The difficulty with a lot of these films from this time was that they were released um, a piecemeal. They weren't like today's releases. They went right across the States, and you had like 2,500 prints. They would roll from town to town, like 20 or 30 towns in an area would get the same prints and rolled over, um, you know, the next couple of weeks to go somewhere else. And and so, and especially with a film that like this, which wasn't, a, wasn't funded or distributed by a major, it was an independent release, I think it, there's probably a little bit of difficulty finding out what the exact... Um, numbers were and um just a couple of other little things i found out about this film was obviously herb freed um he is probably a better businessman than he was a filmmaker because he got the uh, cinema chains or theater chains a bit like with friday 13th original friday 13th they they got the funding from cinema chains um independent um uh, theater chains and um they put the money up for this at the quarter of a million and but also the canny thing with that was of course the distribution deal was also there for them to show it as well. Um, 
And one of my favourite stories that I think I read, I think it's in um, Going to Pieces, Adam Rockoff, um, History of Slash Movies, was saying that when it opened in Los Angeles, um, how they promoted it was they got some teenagers dressed in graduation ground, uh, gowns with badges saying, I survived graduation day, um, running up and down trying to get people to come in, which I think is a great way, a bit of ballyhoo to try and get people sort of, um, you know, involved in it. Um, but uh, I'm just trying to think, was there anyth anything else that you guys found out about the film? Uh, no, we, I was just uh, going to say that I was in touch with Jill Rockow, who did the special yeah. effects on the film, mm. and she agreed to answer some questions, but I'm still waiting for that response to come through, so we don't have them, unfortunately, for the podcast today. But she did say she has very fond memories of graduation day because it was our first um, head of department special effects makeup job. And, I mean, she's gone on to huge things now. I was looking at um, her CV on IMDb, and she's just finished work on Thor, and she worked recently on the Star Trek reboot as well, so... You know, from humble beginnings. Well, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it'd be interesting if we can add her to the the women of graduation day. And just a couple, because obviously you, you chatted to Linia Quigley, didn't you? Um, fire yeah. Again. There was the whole thing about about um, what was did she was she brought in to replace somebody else? Um, she did. She said she confirmed that she was brought in to replace somebody else. We're, it's still a bit of a mystery as to who it was. Um, we think it was the girl in who, when they go to the photo shoot, she says we can't uh, take the do the shoot without Paula or something. I think she she says I think that might be the character because they'd already cast her head, um, and it can be seen under the bleachers in the final yeah. sequence yeah, where Patch McKenzie's being chased because she does vanish. But uh, she? she was sorry, she does vanish. That that little girl with the long yeah. blonde hair, and in the beginning, yeah. in the when they're all shouting. It, it it does cut to linear quickly as well, doesn't it? But you, in isolation, she's not with the others, so mm. she's not she's not in the group shots. She's kind of shouting um, and cheering, but it's kind of uh, isolated shots of her. So it's obviously clear that she was cut into that early yeah. today. Well, the reason that she was brought in to replace the character was because the the girl who was originally cast refused to, to go topless. Mm. So Linnea, who had auditioned previously, was brought in to um, fill the role. And I think you, yeah. you say on actually on the on your review in History Lives that when she's running from the killer, her just her blouse mysteriously pops open. Yeah, which That's is mysteriously not it's already open when she's she's fondling with her boyfriend. It's open. oh, Billy okay. Huffsey from the Kids from Fame. We had to uh, we had to discredit you, Justin. I'm sorry. Oh, well, well. <laughs> but I saw I still prefer to remember it the way I saw it. But another little fun thing about Linear was that. Um, I read that. Well, actually, heard on the on the trauma release of Graduation Day. There's a little interview with Linnea as well, um, and she said that she learnt lots of things working on Graduation Day, and one of them was not to have a big lunch before you do a big chase scene. And apparently, um, she threw up all over herself um, during the chase scene after having a big lunch. So I, I don't know if her that bra in the movie. I, that would have been interesting. It would have been. I don't know if it before or after her bra popped off, but um, um, but she's obviously very game, and she's kind of like you know. Um, you know, she obviously loves loved the film and loved making horror films. So, um, so that was that was. Um, and Nathan and Joseph have actually met her. Yeah, have you? Yeah, I got my picture made with her. She's very nice. Yeah, she seems like she seems like a really good, um, you know, like a fun lady and sort of really really Such nice. Such a sweet lady. Yeah, very kind. Um, just a couple of little things I've dug up. It was it was cast in 1980, um, and it filmed over Christmas holidays in 1980 as well. So in December 1980 is when it was shot in and around Los Angeles. So, which is probably what, how they use the school, um, because obviously people are on Christmas break. Uh, but um, and also, her Freed's wife died either during filming, or from what I can see, died in 1984. So she was either ill during filming. Um, 
because I think uh, was it was it one of the the stunt guys, wasn't it? You were you tried to get in touch with was it James Winburn? Yes, Jim Jim Winburn, who actually yeah. does this, he did the stunt, uh, you know, singular in Halloween. Yeah. But he was also the stuntman on this and on Mortuary. So I was yeah. hoping to hear back from him, but again, I'm still waiting. Okay, well, we might hear back from him. I mean, he's he said that he actually filmed. I think he actually shot one of the scenes, didn't he? Because because um, her freed became yes. so distraught during filming. So it's obviously a horrible thing being in the middle of filming and you know your wife being very ill. But she was obviously she actually from the sound of it, this the woman, his wife was actually possibly the um, uh, the person behind the whole idea. Um, well, Marty said in the interview that uh, she was in the editing room a lot, uh, sort of helping out. Well, the the the, the, I mean, the other thing I've, I think I read in um, the uh, Going to Pieces, which is a great history of the slasher movies, if you've not seen it by Adam Rockoff, he um, he says that Herb Freed said he was completely unaware of the slasher movie boom um, uh, at the at that moment, which seems a little bit bizarre and probably not particularly true because Graduation Day seems to um, pretty much follow everything to the letter, really, doesn't it? It's kind of it's a very stereotypical slasher movie in a lot of ways. It kind of ticks. Pretty much all the boxes, um, but I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's a it's a fun film. It's not a good film by any stretch, but uh, it, you know, it's it's a it's. I would love to see it. I'll tell you what, I'd really like to see it. I'd like to see it with a paying audience, you know, in a cinema. Mm. You know, um, that would be a lot of fun. I think because I think with an audience, you'd probably get a lot more out of it. Um, so, guys, have you got any other any final thoughts on on graduation day? Mm, I'm exercised for. <laughs> You're exercised by that. Yes. How about you, Nathan? Yeah. If, you, if you had your um, film on graduation day? No, I think I've said everything I can think of about it. <laughs> right. Okay. And what about you, Eric? Do you want to do you want to wrap up? Uh, yeah. Well, I suppose that's all we need to say about graduation day. One uh, bit of non-graduation day news I had from my my chat with Martin J. Sadoff was that. For those of you, rich few of you out there who have 3D televisions, apparently Paramount are uh, prepping a proper 3D DVD or Blu-ray release of Friday the 13th Part 3, which means you need, like, obviously a 3D Blu-ray and 3D television to watch it and the whatever the shutter glasses are. But, I mean, that's exciting news and would almost prompt me to sort of remortgage the apartment and purchase a 3D setup. Can you imagine Dana, Dana Kimmel coming off the screen at you? What a, what a I dream know. that would be. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget her horrible face. Never <laughs> in three D. In three D. Yes. Certainly, the I mean, just getting off subject, but the 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 Friday Thirteenth Part Three three um, D DVD that came out the is probably one, yeah. the worst three D I've ever seen. Because um, mm. I saw Friday Thirteenth Part Three three D at the cinema. Yes, not when it came out. And... I saw it at the NFT, but um, it was pretty good. You know, very good three D effects in it. But the um, the kind of the red and blue or whatever, however they did it for the, the DVD release, was pretty dreadful. I thought you were watching it with polarized glasses. Was it like what we have for? Sort of modern films. Yeah, well, when I saw it at the, the cinema, yeah, it was yeah. with those kind of polarised glasses. So, because I remember I saw mm. Jaws 3D and that was that had the polarised glasses and I saw that at the cinema mm. at the time. But I was, I was obviously much too young to see Friday the 13th Part 3 3D when it came out, as I'm sure you can imagine. But I saw it at the NFT um, about 10 years ago, um, it was a National Thin Theatre in London. And um, it was the 3D was really, really good. I was really surprised how good it was. And I think it's probably because it was that... Um, polarized effect and it was certainly better mm, than yeah. a lot of the um the 3d i've seen recently better than piranha 3d or vibrate valentine yeah, 3d yeah. it was it was really really good um so it's mm. credit to martin j sadoff but um, speaking of friday the three part three a shout out for i think it's mr palmer has done a review of it for the body count continues yeah 
And he's actually done his recollection of going to see it on opening day back in 1982. It's really, really good. There's actually some very good uh, reviews up on the site at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. No, I've really enjoyed his um, um, ones about the first film and part two as well. He's certainly old enough to have seen them when they opened. He's like 70, maybe. Is he? (laughs) What? (laughs) No, seriously, he's like... I was talking to um, Meep on forums. Hmm. And he he saw Friday the Thirteenth Part Three first time around as well, and he must he's not seventy. Is he seventy five, eighty? No, no, no. Forty, thirty five, forty, maybe. That's like that's twenty nine years ago. Okay, in nineteen eighty two, I was eight. But that's a difference in the a difference between us in the UK and probably in Ireland, and is that you can't go and see your parents couldn't take you to see Friday Thirteen Part Three D. True, Part Three yeah. and Three D. Whereas you could literally be coming out, being your mother could give birth to you in the in a theatre in the states, and you could stay there, couldn't you? Because as long as your parent takes you to an R-rated movie, it's fine, isn't it? That's my yes. understanding. So, but in the UK, that it's basically it's very strict. You're either you know twelve, fifteen, or an X, as it was then or an 18, you couldn't go unless you were over that age. Um, and also just want to give a quick shout out because I know um, we were talking about feedback or lack of. Um, just want to say a shout out to Count Fosco who has been um, has been very kindly given us a lot of feedback, which is great. And anyone who has on the forums, thank you again. Next time we'll probably read some of that out. So if you do want to give some feedback, and please, please do, because um it's good to know how we're doing and um to hear back you know what tell us what your favorite um guilty pleasures are we will you know we'll read those out it'll be really good to hear that and make it a little bit more interactive and we um we have an email address don't we joseph what can you remember what it is yes i set that up um psychotic death threats complaints anything <laughs> just send it to us we'll read it uh, that's a very it's... long email address <laughs> no, sorry, no, well, sorry. that's the email address exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's the hysteria continues at gmail.com. Now there is a period between each word. So it's the dot hysteria dot continues at gmail.com. Uh, send what you have. Uh, if you hate us, you like us, you want us to die. You want us to play at your birthday party. Uh, we'll read it over the air. Just, so just send it in. Yes. Yes. And, but be kind, be kind. And, and, um, and I, looking at the the counter now, we are probably um, almost or just over two hour mark. So, um, wow. with the interview included from Martin J. Sedos. So, um, it is a bumper bumper graduation day episode. And who thought we wouldn't have enough to talk about graduation day? We've had plenty. So, so um, unless you guys got anything else to say, I'll take that. No, um, I just want to say, yeah. Oh, Ralph. I want you to melt in my arms. Melt in my arms, baby. Oh, just take it like that. I love it. That was the best part for me. I laughed until I cried. <laughs> I would like, can I just play this little, just play a little thing, which I had a little at the beginning, which um, I I had to, I was playing this little sound clip in, we've got a little shed at the back of the garden where I was sitting there, and um, my day, I saw my neighbour looking at me um, funnily across the, the fence because this is one of my, probably my favourite sound clip from any slash movie and it is this one. How do we know she is alive? And, um, <laughs> House and Sorority Row? House yeah. and Sorority Row. Poor Morgan. Uh, oh, poor Morgan. Morgan. Poor Morgan. Okay. But, um, I so do love that line, yes. It's up there with, uh, with Bastards, which... Um, it um, is. But yeah, so anyway, on that bombshell, um, thanks, thanks guys for joining us. And what we'll do is we're going to play out with a bit of felony.
just friends. Well, so don't sing, sing.